What's up, guys? Before we get going today, just want to remind you, podcast brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Who is Skybox Sports Picks? Glad you asked. They're the world's best gambling handicapping website. Skybox is the inventors of the Skybox Matrix Interval and Advanced Modeling Mechanism that has helped propel Skybox to the top of the sports wagering, sports handicapping industry, along with years of wisdom and experience. These guys are legit. If you're wagering right now, maybe it's some baseball, maybe you're into golf, I would encourage you to get into NASCAR. These guys are up 24 units on the current NASCAR season and had a 30-plus unit weekend between NASCAR and the Kentucky Derby. You need to hop on this or you're just kind of pissing away free money for the lack of a better phrase. Excuse my French. But you need to go get on these guys right now. They have weekly packages, monthly packages, sports-centric. You do a weekly NASCAR pass, weekly MLB pass. Any sport, you can go weekly, monthly, day pass, I would recommend doing the full year because you're just going to make it back and then some very quickly. But you can do daily passes, weekend passes. They have something that's going to fit your price range is my point. And with my promo code, Rippy, you can get 20% off whatever that is. So they're running a deal now where you buy the four-week NASCAR pass, which is 25 bucks. If it's not profitable, you get your money back. So you throw in 25 bucks, and you're either going to make a ton of money or just get the 25 bucks right back. Not sure how you can beat that. Check them out, skyboxsportspicks.com. Use my promo code, and you will get 20% off. Go check these guys out. They're legit. Podcast also brought to you by LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. Y'all know the drill. You know, Greg, go see him this weekend. It's May. Weather's getting warmer. Grilling season's up. They got all kinds of stuff at the store. Uh, Lane Train special, Keith Carter special. How about that blast from the past? That's an old ad read. But if you're a subscriber to the Rippy Rights podcast, you get a 16-ounce prime strip for 10 bucks right now and $2 off any fish in the freezer. Check them out, LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. Greg is absolutely the best place in Mississippi to get meat. Probably get a grill corner rolling next week at some point. But go check them out, LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. and Go subscribe to the Rippy Rights newsletter, and those free meats are all yours. All you have to do is go to rippyrights.substack.com. And you'll get five newsletters a week and some free meats. I argue the second part of that is probably better than the first, but I'm going to give you the first part either way. So check it out, rippyrights.substack.com. Free newsletter every week. We've got a packed show to get into today. Colin and I, usual Sunday night Megapod, we got into Ole Miss's series loss against Texas A&M. Where this team stands, it really feels like a fragile team, despite the fact I can't talk today. That's 14 and 10 in the Southeastern Conference. You know, Mike Bianco's had some really good teams that were not at 14 and 10 at this point. But it's just kind of interesting to see where this team's at, considering the injuries they've gone through, kind of everything that went down the way it did. Of course, we got into all things eighth inning, seventh inning pitching decisions. Um, If you thought the Mississippi State pod was scorched earth in terms of uh, kind of critiquing managerial decision-making, buckle up, pal, because this one seemed – that one seemed tame compared to this one. So we got into all of that. We got into kind of the general psyche of this team, Gunnar Hoagland's long-term future, and where this team really goes from here. Because like I mentioned, it's a weird place for them to be at 14-10 and 10 in the conference with six games to go. Because you look on the surface, it's a hell of a place to be, right? In a normal year, you win 18 games. That's two, two series wins in your national seed. But that's really just could not be the furthest place from where this team is actually at. So we got into all those things. I don't want to spoil it. 
Without further ado, here's our Sunday Megapod. Let's roll. Rippy Writes with Brian Scott Rippy. Transcripts can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. What's up? Happy Sunday night. I am Brian Scott Rippy. On the other end of the line, as he always is, is Colin Brister. We appreciate you joining us for another edition of the Ripple Rights Podcast. This is our usual Sunday Megapod, talking pretty much all things Ole Miss baseball. We don't really talk about anything else uh, on this show. It's really just kind of become that. So we will get into Ole Miss's serious loss to Texas A&M, uh, management decisions once again, big picture stuff with Gunnar Hoagland. Uh, there's, there's a lot to dive into. And to be totally honest, I knew we'd have a lot to get to today, dude, but I did not figure it was the, uh, it was the stuff that we're about to dive into. What's happening? It's a shame that, like, we had to wait a few hours to podcast because I had a Mother's Day deal and you were getting back from Texas or to Texas. But at about 5, 5.30 today, if we'd have recorded this, we might have had to have re-recorded um, because I don't, I, don't, I don't think we could have published what I would have said during that point. Well, I was about to say it was – you had a Mother's Day thing and I watched most of the game, but I snuck out for a, for a quick afternoon round at this place in Frisco called The Tribute, which is about 45 minutes away from where I am. So I, uh, I, had, I, had, I, say, uh, I say that. I had a nice afternoon as the worst part of Ole Miss's baseball game was unfolding. Was I wrong? I know what's happened with, with this bullpen lately, and I knew what could happen. I was keeping a close eye on it. Thank God for technology because I could watch it on my phone. But it, when it got to 4-2, I kind of looked at MC, my girlfriend. I was like, I tweet, let's just get out of here. We'll, we'll, we'll head out to the golf course if things get weird, whatever. It happens, happens. But I felt okay about the direction they were going, and uh, that was that was fool's gold, I guess. I, I should not have felt that way. I, I, yeah, I, I, you know, I honest to God said, and I meant it, um, that Sunday in Starkville was the dumbest thing I'd ever seen Mike Bianco do, and it it took him what three whole weeks to outdo himself. I, I guess my man's trying to set a, a, a what is it a Guinness World Record because. Uh, we we are two for two and uh or, or we are we have uh set the record for dumbest coaching decisions in his twenty five year career uh the past three weeks. Yeah, if you really want to put some sort of time caps on it, if if you're if I'm counting correctly and not counting midweek games because there's not a whole hell of a lot of strategy to be had in midweek games, it's about a hundred innings later from that setting. Yeah. yeah, something like that. Yeah. <laughs> So, I, I mean, I guess that's as good a place as any to start. Ole Miss, you get to the top of the seventh. Ole Miss leads five to two. They added, yeah, they're up four to two, but they add the right. insurance run or whatever sure. right at the top of the seventh. Kevin Graham sure. is on a fielder's choice. You get up five to two. And uh, I'll just let you have it from there. I mean, I, I, I'll set it. Uh, I guess I'll set the tone. Right. You get the Mikey Honer kid double. Sure. Palm gets pinch hit for. Broadway comes in for Doherty. Strikeout, strikeout. Sweet, you're feeling good. Both other guys run it full. Two walks, not great. And then the Purcell uh, the kid hits his fifth home run of the weekend. That turns out to be a grand slam that was all she wrote. I'll just open up the floor to you and so, you have at it. So, it, there's a lot of different people are saying, well, you know, it, it, it's Broadway's fault because he walks the two guys. Yeah, like Broadway shouldn't have walked a, a – a, decent leadoff hitter and a bad two-hole hitter agreed obviously should should have gone after those guys like but Broadway being bad doesn't dissolve Mike Bianco from blame like yeah he shouldn't have walked those two but also 
Mike shouldn't have called three fastballs in a row to Will Frizzell. He should have walked Will Frizzell is what he should have done. Uh, but some people will say you can't walk people with the bases loaded. I digress. I think you can. Uh, I've seen it done before. And I would have, the, the guy that's hit four home runs this weekend, I'd have done it. Um, I would not have let Will Frizzell beat me. There's just no way. And you asked Broadway to execute three fastballs in a row. After he executed two in a row, you're going to ask him to execute a third. And he just didn't get the fastball up high enough. Frizzell gets his hands to it. It's the ball out of the ballpark. Um, I mean, look, that kid's a heck of a player, no doubt about it. And, and you just – look, I mean, he drove in all six runs today. Texas a scored six runs. Will Frizzell had six RBIs. You let their only their only de- decent hitter beat you. Um, it's inexcusable. It is absolutely inexcusable. And it wasn't just today he beat you Friday. Yeah, he did. But a lot of other guys contributed Friday too now. Okay, but he, fair though, that home run was pretty much the hammer. Well, it was, it was a walk-off. Like, but – I, I I think there's a different mindset of him coming off with nobody on, nobody out in the bottom of the ninth. I don't think you can walk that guy there. I really don't. Like, I think you have to pitch to him. Now, I can argue that Mike starts off good hitters too often with off-speed pitches um, because Frizzell was sitting off-speed and he absolutely, absolutely destroyed it. Um, but I, I don't think you can walk him there. In a three-run game in the seventh with not much behind him, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not scared of that kid, or I'm not letting that kid beat me. I'm not scared of the kid on deck because he can't bunt. He can't get Frizzell over, and he can't get him in the scoring position there. He has to actually get it done with two outs. Um, you know, I, I just – pitching to him made no sense to me. But, like, I can understand rational viewpoints differ there. Like, I can understand people say, no, you have to pitch to him with base load. You can't walk right. Okay. I, I can't, I, I'm not going to argue with you. That's your belief. And I, I don't really have statistical evidence to, you know, shoot that down i did say on this podcast a couple of weeks ago i do think there are situations where with guys with the bases loaded uh that one run doesn't count as much as four and you shouldn't throw pitches over the middle of the plate so i've, I've been on that train for a little bit um but you know again rational minds can differ on the pitch to Frizzell. um i i don't know how anybody can defend what happened in the top of the eighth inning that was the single dumbest thing i have seen an sec baseball coach do and i've watched a lot of sec baseball for a long time that was horrendous. That's a bold statement, and I don't want to pivot uh, from that. I actually, when you were talking about, uh, we were talking about Friday night, I was actually not even talking about Frizzell's walk-off. I was oh. talking about the one that made it 5-4 to four because, yes, I know Ole Miss went and tied it up. I know it got to 8-4 and Ole Miss tied it up again. But, man, you, we'll get to it in a minute. But you talk about in terms of backbreakers. I felt that his – obviously, the walk-off ends the game. I'm not trying to say <laughs> – anything dumb and go like full Nick Wright or Chris Take or whatever. But I felt his first home run uh, with Diamond kind of being where he was at in the game, if he could just get that kid out and then you get the 2-2 fastball and the kid pokes over the fence. I thought that was the most backbreaking. But not, I'm, not, I'm not, I guess, steering the conversation away from where we're at right now. Yeah, the bottom of the seventh was tough. Before we get to the eighth, I, I, I kind of lean both ways on this. It wasn't the greatest pitch in the world. As you mentioned, he didn't get high enough up. The kid got his hands on it. I wouldn't have let him beat me either, but man, it was what at that point it would have been five three if you walked the run in, and then a base yes. ties the game. People would have been calling him an idiot if they if he walks the guy, they make it five to three, and then a base hit ties the game. Like people would have, you're playing the result in that one. I'm with you. I just didn't hate that decision as much as I hated it. No, no, I, and, and that's that's why I said you know rational viewpoints can differ on that. Um, 
I would have walked him and, and I understand people wouldn't have, I get it. Um, that I just, that kid can't beat me. Um, uh, but again, like, like you said, I understand people can differ there. Uh, what I really hope is that people can't differ, um, on what happened in the top of the eighth inning. That, that was egregious. Uh, that, that was, that was horrendous as, and you know, I, I don't know how anybody can defend that. Just, just garbage, absolute garbage. So, I we're 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 getting ahead of ourselves, but I I, I agree. Like I, I I can't defend that part of it. I just I find the Frizzell dynamic very interesting because you're facing Broadway for the first time this weekend, and when he gets to the plate, like is there more of an oh shit guy you could possibly have, even with Taylor Broadway on the mound? No. I mean, it's not possible. They haven't faced a guy this year so much that I can remember. Like, even a couple of the kids – I know there's a couple of guys at Arkansas that really scary. Their kid that, that kid at LSU was really hot. His name is escaping me. But there's, there's not a single guy they faced this year to where no. like, oh, God, he's up again. I'm with you. I would have walked him. I, like you said, I could see how opposing viewpoints could differ. But, man, just like – can you feel the room? Can you feel the stadium? Like, did – it just – did it not feel that way as soon as the kid stepped in the box? Like, in the back of my mind, I'm sitting there thinking, okay, this is going to happen. How is it going to happen? And good Lord. Yeah, I, I – that – I mean, I just – there was always that possibility. And he didn't get the fastball up. I thought that, you know, obviously, like I said, I would have walked the kid. I thought the pitch sequencing was terrible. Um, I liked the first pitch. Go inside on a fastball. Don't let him get his hands extended. And then you beat him on the second pitch fastball. It's really, really hard to ask Tyler Broadway, especially when I mean Mike Bianco's never been shy about wasting pitches. And and you know, what's wrong with spiking one in the dirt in the dirt there? Spiking two in the dirt there. I, I just you know, you're throwing fastball up. I get it. I get what he's trying to do, but I, I feel like there was no margin for error with that pitch, right? Like if you throw it up and where it needs to be, he swings through it. But if you throw it too up, it's going to go over Dunhurst's head, and now you've got to run in. You throw it too low, and, well, we see what happens. Um, yeah, that was I, the part I, just, I didn't understand because, like, you're trying – like, at this, like I would at least throw one more in the dirt, and it wouldn't have been something hard, and probably two because even if you're not trying to intentionally walk him on purpose, like, at least try to make him chase a, 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 a something that's going to dip, right? I mean, a guy that's been that hot, you've – I'll defer to you once again. You've coached baseball – I mean, what are the better odds that the guy's going to hit something over the fence and do damage for you? Is it yeah. an elevated fastball or something that he's going to chase in the dirt? Even if you hang it, it seems like the likelihood is less. Am I wrong in that? Yeah, well, you can't really hang it if it's in the dirt, but I, I get what no, you're no, saying. No, no, okay. no. You know, obviously, you can't hang it if it's in the dirt. I just meant try to put something in the dirt, even if the kid Sure. And, and yeah, no, there, there's no way my out pitch to Will Frizzell is a fastball up. There's just no way. I mean, the, it defies logic. Um, so again, you know, we, we can talk about whether you walk him or not. The, the pitch sequencing was really, really bad because you just left yourself on that 0-2 pitch with zero margin for error. It's either you execute the pitch or you throw it high and it goes over Dunhurst's head because where they wanted that pitch was about, you know, Frizzell's eyes. When you throw it much higher than that, Dunhurst isn't getting to it. You throw it much lower than that and he hits it in the right field stains. I mean, it just – how you in that situation leave yourself so little margin for error um, is beyond me. Um, pitch sequencing was really bad, really, really bad, and, and obviously it results in the home run that uh, puts Texas A&M 
Texas A&M up. And not to rub salt in the wound, one, I agree with you. And two, like, if you're talking about that elevated fastball, I mean, the, I don't have any statistics to back this up. I think I'd probably maybe throw Gunner in this category. But, like, I, as good as Taylor Broadway has been, and he's had that all year, like, I guess what I'm trying to say is, like, Duck has kind of made a living off of that, which even sure. starts up there in that situation. Um. Yes, but it's it, – But it still doesn't make it make sense, right? No, I I trust Doug, but and there's a little different reason because I trust Doug, and it's a little bit of a nerdy reason. But Doug, from what he does, um, tunnels his curveball and his fastball off the same plane. So, if I've thrown him curveballs two times in a row and gotten ahead or two, yeah, I would trust it there. It's kind um, of like the Austin Miller thing with a hell of a lot more velocity. Sure. Remember how yeah. Austin Miller, you couldn't figure out how he was getting dudes out and that was it in 19? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it, it's it's he tunnels it really well. So I, the only person I really would trust there is Doug and Gunner because I trust Gunner to get it to where it needs to be, and I trust Doug because of his tunneling ability to to be able to get it there. Um, I, I don't really trust anybody else, and and Broadway's been great, but I, I obviously don't trust him there to do that. And not I, I was about to say not to throw salt in the wound, and then I just went on a complete tangent about the elevated fastball thing. What I was meaning to get at was not to throw salt in the wound in the wound i can't talk today the boss kid behind him was like two for 12 on the weekend yeah no i do think it's, it's important to, i do think it's important to remember this um twice that inning taylor broadway shook off sliders so it, it is important to remember that everything mike calls is not what's thrown is it possible taylor broadway shook off the slider there i don't know um i do know if that pitch was what was called it was horrendous it was horrendous um, so again, you know, you wouldn't get as mad as, and, and look what Mike did at the top of the eighth, we'll get to it, um, was horrendous, but you know, there is a possibility that wasn't what was called from the dugout because Mike does give his guys freedom to shake pitches. Yeah. And, and, and that's probably as good enough a transition as any to get into what happened in the top of the eighth. Cause that was probably the most shocking element of all this, because I don't know, I guess from a, a feeling standpoint, that kid hit pokes it over the fence. I didn't feel great about Texas A&M's chances at, at 6-5 with Ole Miss. I've given the way the weekend had gone. Now, I'll say that that's balancing it with the fact that it's kind of I – mean, you talk about that backbreaking element. I didn't feel great about Ole Miss relinquishing the lead on Friday and then coming back to it until they immediately scored four in the eighth. And you're sitting there thinking, of course, dummy, like odd sights, 20-20 on that. But just like the backbreaking factor of it, that that did factor in a little bit in terms of, I guess, the team's mindset. But I, I did not feel great about AM chances of that thing ending six to five. It shouldn't have ended six to five with the way the top of the eight started. And sure enough, it did. And I guess again, I'll just let you go where you want with this. All right. Well, no, let, let's do this um, before we even get get in get into this. Um, all right. Let's let's set it up. Uh, Justin Bitts gets hit by gets hit by a pinch. T.J. McCants gets a single. Okay. We have first and second with Hayden Leatherwood up against the left-handed pitcher, and, and let's preface it with this left-handed pitcher was not coming out of the game. He is their closer. They are going to ride or die with him. Let's, let's preface it with that. What would Brian Rippey do in that situation? Like, and, and I want to play it out not with just what you would do with Hayden Leatherwood. The, the hitters were Hayden Leatherwood, Kel Baker, uh, and Calvin Harris. What would you do in those three spots? And let's – I don't know. Let's, let, let me ask first. Who would you have let – what would you have done in Hayden Leatherwood's spot? Let him hit easily. Okay. All right. All right. Let's stop there. Let's say he pops up to second base. Then what do you do? Kel Baker is up. 
if he if he makes an out and it's not a productive out that particularly I guess it doesn't matter a whole lot, but particularly mm-hmm. if it's not a productive out, sure. I'm probably hitting Elko for Baker. Correct. Correct. You're then you're then you're hitting Elko for Baker. All right. But okay, so be that as it may, so can I can I I know you're going somewhere with this and we're playing it out. I will say if he gets on base, of course, and if it's a productive out, I'm letting Baker hit and pinch sure, hit. Sure, but yeah, hey, hold, hold on, hold that thought. Hold that thought. Go ahead. All right. Let's say let's just say there that Elko pops up second base. Calvin Harris is now up against the left-handed pitcher. What do you do? You have to have – and Calvin Harris is up against the left-handed pitcher. What would you do? Okay, so I've, I know where you're going with this. I sold all my Ben Van Cleve stock. So, I'm sitting here in Fort Worth, Texas with a beautiful view out in front of me. It is two stories high. I'll probably leap off of that. But if that wasn't an option, I'd probably just hit Ben Van Cleve in place of Calvin Harris. So – so instead of – that's exactly what I would do. I would have hit Leatherwood, and then if there was an unproductive out, I would have hit Elko. If there was a productive out, I would have hit Baker. Um, and By the way, to, to you, your point's well stated. I like the way you set that up. But there are – there is one or two other alternatives. It's just not the one they oh. have that. Oh, oh, let uh, – yeah. So so let's start with the Leatherwood decision. I have, I have a stat for you. Would you like to hear a stat? <laughs> sure, go ahead. Okay. So – since the Arkansas series, do you remember when – so, you know, Tim Elko got hurt against uh, – after the Florida series, correct? I do remember that. It was the midweek after the Florida series. All right. All right. So, so remember at this time now, remember at this time that um, Hayden Leatherwood was not an everyday player. He was only getting play against right-handed pitching and had missed – had sat like three of the previous six games, right? Well, do we remember that? Because he was struggling, right? That's correct. Was really struggling so, at the plate. So, so we said – when Tim Elko got went down, that you can't replace Tim Elko. There's nobody on this team that can do it. Brian, we were wrong. Since that point, Hayden Leatherwood is hitting 468, yeah. has a 480 yeah. on base percentage, an 872 slugging percentage, and a 1.385 OPS. He's absolutely replaced Elko. He's been better. And you took that guy and you said, you know what, buddy? Oh, and by the way, he has a 954 OPS against left-handed pitching. Um, you took that guy, and you said, you know what? We would rather have Calvin Harris take the meaningful at bat than you. That's what he's saying. Because, I mean, if you have a functioning brain, let's play this out. You have a functioning brain in this situation. What you were saying is, well, no. What Mike Bianco was saying was that I'm going to bunt Ben Van Cleve and I'm going to put Tim Elko up there. Well, Mike, apparently, in his infinite wisdom, never considered the fact that Texas A&M was going to walk Tim Elko. Never considered that. I don't know how he didn't consider that. Yeah, I don't want to interrupt you, but, like, I, I'm not paid to do this type of stuff. And, I, I again, I, I, hate, I, I hate the second-guessing game. It's warranted here. I'm not saying that we shouldn't do that. But, man, like, that's a first instinct. And you're, I'm just There's, an asshole with a podcast watching it on television. There's a base well, open. Yeah, that's if if Ole Miss was in that situation and they didn't walk Elko, I would go to prison. So, like you know, I mean, they're gonna walk him because look, Rob Childress is getting fired because he's a bad baseball coach, but I don't think he's a complete and total idiot. Um, so he walks Elko, and now your high leverage at bat that could have been with Hayden Leatherwood is now with Cal or is with Calvin Harris. 
who God bless the kid can't see left-handed pitching. So he's out on his front foot, just trying his dangest to put the ball in play. And unfortunately he hits it right at the dang shortstop. The most shocking element of all of that scenario out of all of it, whether it's the bottom of the seventh or the top of the eighth, it's not where you use Elko. It's the start of it. It's Van Cleve pinch hitting for Leatherwood. Just that in a vacuum. All else well, in him. I'll ask you why. Um, well, you know what? You know so, what? I'll so, give you the answer. So, I know the answer because he's the best bunner on the team. Yes, exactly. But why? Why? Why is that a consideration? I thought we had gotten past this. For a team that doesn't bun a lot. It, it's really yeah, telling. SEC. They have the last, but they have the fewest amount of sack bunts in the SEC. I will go look it up in a second because we thrive no. on accuracy on this podcast. They I have swear God, at some point in late April, it was two. They had two. It was, it, hold up. It was two until about six hours ago. <laughs> okay, so it's day two. It, well, no, it's three now because Van Cleve got it down. No, I know. I'm just saying I don't have to look it up. It's yes. still two, right? Yes, it's three Dear now. God. <laughs> three that, now. So, so, okay, the way you use Elko, subjective. Right, there's a right way that we could argue to to or blue in the face about where you want to use him in that game and where you want to no, use. No, 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 I, I completely disagree. There, there was that was not subjective. You could not hit him where you hit him. Completely disagree. You had to hit Baker there. There's no, there's there's no way you couldn't hit Baker there because if you don't, Tim Elko's a bad. I'm throwing, the, I'm throwing the Van Cleve decision out the window. Just entering that inning when you have two okay, guys on sure. base. Where you sure. want to plug in Elko is completely subjective. Of course, sure. it's not subjective after the Van Cleef thing because you've pitched your hold yourself into one option. But that's the start of it. He could have had so many ways to do things if he just hit Leatherwood. Yeah. And, there, and there's so, no way we're sitting here talking about him and his ability as a manager sure. unless he leaves uh, on the bench. But that's yeah. what everything to me. That, that's, that's what started this conversation. Go sure. ahead. All right, so so Mike's whole approach to this was wrong, right? Like his whole approach of let's bunt Ben Van Cleve, get him in a scoring position for Tim Elko. Crap, they walked him. Now we got to face Calvin Harris. Oh God, he grounded into double. Like that whole thing was wrong. But after each screw up, you could have fixed it. Like he just continued to screw up. Like he made three bad decisions in a row. You bunt Van Cleve. Okay, that's stupid. Well, to fix that, now you have to hit uh, Kale Baker because they're going to walk Elko if you put him in there. So, again, very stupid that you bunted Ben Van Cleef. Very dumb. But you can fix it now because now you have to hit Baker. Oh, God, he's going to hit Tim Elko. Okay, well, that was real stupid. But now you can fix this because you have a left-hander on the mound. You have John Rice Plumley, who's not going to hit into a double play because I don't know if y'all know this, the dude's fast. Okay? So, absolute worst case, John Rice Plumley strikes out and Jacob Gonzalez gets in it back. Best case, he puts it in play, and you get the game tied up. He screwed up three times in a row. Three times in a row now. He messed up. I, unbelievable. Just absolutely unfreaking believable that, that he would. That's the part I was getting at with the subjective part. Because if you, if you just let Leatherwood hit, it's like, okay, you know, wherever you want to use Elko, okay, fine. But you leave yourself no other options. But then he kind of like I guess where I'm sitting there when he does the the Van Cleef thing, it's like okay, I guess you know Baker gets a fly ball in the air. Okay, fine, they get the run across. I think you're giving away outs for a reason. Sure, 
But, but wasting your biggest bullet off the bench, who could borderline probably should be DHing right now. We could have that conversation later. Although I have some mixed thoughts on that. You spend that when you don't have to. Like to me, that's I, I don't want to make a pitching analogy out of it. And just tell me I'm stupid. Okay. When, but I, I'm about to say something that I don't think makes any sense, but it's like the closest baseball thing I could come up with. It's like you're up nine to two yesterday and you just throw Broadway. Just cause like there's no logic to be had after the, yeah. the Van Cleve thing. Like bigger, like in terms of what you were trying to accomplish there after you pinch hit Van Cleve is and sack Bunham. Is there that much of a difference in the outcome you're looking for between Kel Baker and Tim Elko? I understand Tim Elko is a much better hitter than Kel Baker. That's not what I'm saying. But at that point, after you've given away an out and moved those guys up a base, is there that much of a difference in your confidence to put to have either one of those guys hit a fly ball is what I'm getting at. You've basically um, minimized his value. Yes. What I am saying here is that the guy that was on the mound in Josuak is not the guy that gives Kel Baker problems. The guy that gives Kel Baker problems is the guy that can run it up there 93 to 95 miles an hour from the right side with a power breaking ball. That was not what was on the mound. Josuak was 88 to 90 from the left side. His slider's turning into Kel Baker's front knee. Um, and you pinch hit for him. My theory is most true if Jesus was on the mound. Yeah, I mean, well, I, yeah, you had to hit Baker or somebody in that situation that is not Tim Elko if you're going to get value out of Tim Elko's at bat because you got none when you put him up there and they walked in. I mean, it, it was – Unless Mike just was is an idiot, which at this point I can't really disagree with, um, that he had to know Childress was going to walk him. So my question then becomes to Mike, if you knew he was going to walk him. I don't think he did. I then think he's he the biggest moron on the face of this brain fart after the, the Van Cleef thing. Do you not agree? Do what now? That was the crux of this whole brain fart or brain cramp, whatever you want to call it. After the Van Cleef thing, I don't think he realized that because I don't think Mike would send Tim Elko to the plate fully realizing that they're going to put him on first base. That makes no sense. I think he got caught in the brain cramp. Do you not agree? And that can't happen. No, no, I, I th think it can't happen. But we're, we're in agreement that he did not send Tim Elko to the plate being like, hell yeah, this Tornisio guy tries to just stand on first base without taking a swing I, I want to believe that I do I want to believe that Mike knew or didn't think that they were going to walk in I I at this point this point I can't put a lot of things past him and he he just continues to make boneheaded decisions I, I think frankly that's one of the well, unfortunate parts about not having post-game interviews today and by the way he got thrown out today uh so he's suspended for the midweek game and he absolutely will not be there to take questions after that midweek game, right? Like, he's just going to – he's going to send Clem up there because Clem's going to coach it. Uh, yeah. I, look, man, <laughs> that's not a great look either. And I – No, that, that was done before the game. That, that was a before-the-game thing. What do you mean? The, 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 they knew before the game they weren't going to be able to do post-game interview. No, no, no. I'm talking about the look of just getting tossed. I don't think oh. that's – he was just pissed in general. He was he was ready to get run, it looked like to me. Because I don't know what – he was pissed at A&M's dugout. It's like, well, buddy, it's your fault. Yeah, no, it was. Absolutely it was. And I, I just I, – you know, we talk about these athletes and these coaches in this light, and I'm not trying to make 
uh, excuses for what happened or what happened today, but you know, this team's been through it. And we'll get to the Gunnar Hoagland thing in a little bit. But to me, part of that's playing in the back of his mind. That game's not playing out the way he did. He knows he kind of made a boneheaded mistake in the seventh. He understands that he didn't manage things well in the eighth. The frustration lets out, but you're kind of – I hate to use this term, but you're the CEO of the program, dude. Like, you, you got to kind of be there to face the music, whether he was taking pre- post-game interviews or not. Like, the whole getting tossed and kind of leaving it up to your dudes in that last part is I, – I don't ever mind Mike getting tossed. It never happened in the entire time I was on the beat. I could argue that I, – I couldn't argue. I wish it would have happened at least once or twice just to see it. You choose that time? Like, okay, the Arkansas thing, sweet. You're trying to fire up your dudes. I don't even think it was more so that than the umpire sucked and he just really, really had it. Why are you getting tossed there? Um, now, in fairness, I don't think he meant to, but A&M's dugout was, was taking it to the extreme with Frizzell and everything. And Mike had enough. He, he, had, he had told them early in the game to cut it out, and, and then they did something again after the inning, and he gets run. Um, they have to cut it out. Do what? Well, they don't. They don't. You're right. But, I mean, you know, he, he got pissed about that. I don't think it was his intention to get run, and obviously it wasn't over ball strikes or calls or anything. He just he kind of lost it again. And I don't know. It's, it's unfortunate, but. I say it's unfortunate. Ole Miss may have had a better shot with Clement making decisions. Um, We're not done second guessing yet. I would like to continue playing this game. I know you could do it all night. I don't want to run to the ground. But let's just go through this each scenario. Okay. So you do – let's just back it up for a second. So you do the Van Cleet thing. Okay, cool. And my point about – in terms of that at bat, with guys on second and third and one out, and what you're looking for between Van Cleve – Excuse me, I'm, I'm all backed up now. Elko and Baker, correct? Right. Of course you believe that Elko has a better chance of getting a hit than Kel Baker, correct? Sure. That's fair. Sure. But in terms of the worst outcome of that at bat, you mm-hmm. probably feel a little bit better about Elko not striking out than Baker. Fair enough. Probably a lot better. We'll put yep. it that way. But in terms of just the baseline of what you're asking a guy to do, it doesn't warrant a pinch hit. If Elko, I mean, if Baker strikes out, okay, that sucks. You took a chance, not even taking a chance. You asked the guy to get the ball in the air. That's completely on Kale Baker if he does not get a baseball in the air against that guy, as you mentioned, the way the matchup was not as bad as it was perceived. That's completely on Kale Baker. Do you know what you do after that? You hit Elko and you let him walk him and then you let Jacob Gonzalez take his swing. At worst case scenario, even I would have, I assumed AM was probably going to walk Elko, presumably. They sure as hell were not walking Calvin Harris. But if they're no. stupid enough to pitch to Elko in that situation, you let him try to get a hit, and then you let Jacob Gonzalez get in at bat. He, I mean, there were so many, like, what was the, after first and second, no outs. Mm-hmm. What was the probability that Jacob Gonzalez was getting a bat in that inning? 67? Uh, pretty, pretty good. Yeah, pretty good. Well, by the time Calvin Harris got up, not to be an asshole, it was probably, in our minds, if you follow this baseball team, less than 40. 50? I was just going to go less than 40, dude. I mean, look, I've seen Calvin Harris. I know he's not 100% healthy, although he seems to be getting healthier, which is a good sign for the future. But I've seen that movie play out, and I'm not trying to be, like I mentioned, an ass about it, but – what was your likelihood he was grounding into that double plate? Maybe I'm I said it. I said it as he did it. As Josuek wound up to pitch, I said he's probably going to hit into a double play here, and then he did it. 
I'm dead serious. I looked at my mom and said he's going to hit into a double play here, and the ball was hit right at the shortstop. I said, okay. We have quite a few listeners that listen to this particular show, which shout out to you guys. Y'all made this something fun to do every Sunday night. Do you think we're alone in that thought? It was just me and you. Well, I I said when Frizzell came up, he was going to hit a grand slam. So both of those things happened. I I just – I can't wrap my mind around – and to be completely honest, I had to get locked back in in the eighth inning on the golf course while you were texting me. My dad's rage texting me about what's going on. I saw the Frizzell homer. I'm sitting there looking at it on my phone. And, like, I I can't make sense of it. I'm, like, hitting my phone (laughs) into the side of the golf cart. I was like, I'm missing it, man. Something's not right. (laughs) The scoreboard's wrong. There's an out wrong. And I I just – you know, you have years where – this manager doesn't have a great feel of this team. We've, we've had this conversation before, right? Mike had a hell of a coaching job in 15, man. That team really didn't belong in a regional. That 16 team sure as hell didn't belong as a lock-dead host and probably should have been a national seed. He's had great coaching jobs. Did a great job in 18. He did do a great job in 18. And that's why there's no – and we'll get – I know we'll get into this big-picture conversation later, but I'd kind of like to get to some other things before it. That's why there's no nuance with the Bianco conversation because it's, it's reached a point, and I'll have some thoughts on this here in a minute, to where it's just everything is the end of the world. But it's, it, it's fair to criticize him in this moment. I, I'm not stating – I'm stating the obvious there. Without getting into the big picture, he has a horrible feel for this team is what I'm trying to say, and it's actively costing this club ball games that they cannot afford to lose, particularly with what's happening to them on the injury front. It is actively costing them games. When you have years where you have injuries, where your best hitter goes down with the ACL injury, and we'll get to the Gunnar Hoagland thing in a second, you've had pitching injuries in the bullpen, you've had your number two guy miss some time, and you have your number one guy who might be on the shelf for the year. Again, we'll get to that later. I know we'll hash that out. But when all that stuff happens, when Tim Elko went out, what happened? The offense didn't miss a beat. You mentioned it. Hayden Leatherwood was, has been phenomenal ever since. TJ McCants, he had already started on that trajectory, has been absolutely unbelievable. By the way, he's playing a great center field now. Go ahead. He is. He's playing a much better center field. But you get my point. What happened when Tim Elko went out? Those guys raised their game. And I know that sounds like a corny coaching cliche, but as someone that coaches baseball, back me up on this. They haven't missed a beat. And in, all, in a lot of other worlds, they could have just kind of cratered as an offense with as much as what was built around Elko. I know they have a lot of other good hitters, but that's a big hole. They've not even missed a beat, man. If you look at their offensive numbers – They've been better since he got they've hurt. They've been better since he left. They've been better since he left the game. And so you have all those guys doing everything they can to minimize the injury loss. And the guy calling the shots of actively causing them games, you can't have that. He's 20 years into the game. Oh. Do you one better? Um, you can't have the guy actively costing you games in a place that has scholarship limitations. Like you can't, you can't, in the same breath, say this this program has scholarship limitations, and also this coach is blowing games. Like it, that, it can't happen. Um, it, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's really unfortunate because, frankly, if just you make two correct decisions, you're sixteen and eight. And you're talking about a lot of different things. You're, look, Ole Miss is going to get selected as a host this week. There's no doubt in my mind about that. And uh, they don't have to do a whole lot more the rest of the year to make sure that they have a postseason uh, regional in Oxford. But you're talking about winning the SEC if Mike Bianco does what he should have done in Starkville, if Mike Bianco does what he should have done today. You are 16-8 and eight, um, tied with Arkansas going into the last two series of the year for the SEC West, or for the SEC lead. 
but because you made two really, really bad decisions, you're kind of just locked into, well, we're probably going to host. Like, they, that's that's the line in this league. That's, that's the line. Two games is the line. You have effectively ended any chance at a national seed because you made a horrific decision and didn't give your chance team the best opportunity to win. And that really bothers me because – and I I mean, look, I, I don't – the kids – it's, it's, it's hard when you play your tail off. Look, Ole Miss's offense was not good today. I'm not going to sugarcoat that. It wasn't good. It's hard when you play your tail off and then you see your best hitter get pinch hit for to bunt. Like, that's – that. what are we doing at that point? I don't know. It just – to me, it kind of felt like – I'll be honest, the, the decision to bunt Hayden Leatherwood kind of felt like a panic move to me. Um, so, because you're you're playing ahead. for one you're, on this, but finish. Go ahead. You're playing for one run there. If you do that, you're playing for one run. You need two runs to win the baseball game. And and I thought there was an opportunity there. Your best hitter's up, man. Like, let's call it what it is. Hayden Leatherwood is their best hitter right now. Your best hitter's up. You have an opportunity to win the baseball game. And you somehow took that from your best header having the opportunity to win the baseball game to having the highest leverage out of the game be on a freshman's shoulders in the left versus left situation. I just – that's awful managing. Just just absolutely terrible. And it's it's unfortunate. I mean, he's killing this team. I mean, he, he is absolutely killing this team right now. And um, What did you call it? What did you call it? What do you mean? What did you call pinch hitting Leatherwood and bunning Van Cleve? Egregious. No, no, no. Panic move. Is that uh, what? Oh, it did. Oh, absolutely. It seemed like a panic move. Okay. It so seemed like a panic move after what Broadway did. Uh, Agree. So I, I don't, I have no, nothing to back this up. Uh, 100%. I, I can't do, I can't, there's no numbers I can put on this. But you've watched Ole Miss baseball for how many years? Uh, it, Mike's entire tenure. So 21 years. You've seen the entire bunting, uh, you want to call it a spray chart? What do you want to call it? You've seen percentages uh, go up and down with bunting, uh, correct? Yes. Yeah. So in the last couple of years, when he has gone away from bunting, yep. and he has gone more towards the numbers, and that analytics guy seems to be doing more than answering phones at the front desk. Sorry. That was a thing, by the way. That was a thing. <laughs> We're not going to get My into man that. was talking to the pissed off fan that caught up there and wanted to talk to Mike. Maybe he was calling the Phillies back. Anyway, I, I, I'm not going to get into that today. <laughs> You've seen this, hey, right? wait. That guy had to work today because Laugh had to come in and call pitches because Mike got run, so he had to go to the bullpen. I have this theory, okay? <laughs> and I cannot back this up. But bear with me because I think you'll get on board with this. In the recent years where he's gone away with Bunny, we'll call it the last half decade, that fair? Where he's, sure. kind of, he's kind of, you know, I know there were some times in 16 where it kind of made you mad when he did it. But he has not played small ball in at least six years. But mm. what you've seen, in my opinion, in these high-pressure scenarios, when Ole Miss bunts, it's a dead red indicator of Mike Bianco's state of mind. In my opinion, and this is good just one. which is as worthless as any other person listening to this, in my opinion – him bunting is a dead red read into his headspace because, you know, when Ole Miss is tied 11-11 to in an April game against Arkansas, that, yeah, it matters, but a loss is really not having a ton of major consequences on where they're going to play baseball in June. He's not even considering bunting. What was it that we were yelling about three weeks ago 
It was the LSU game where people got yeah. mad at him not bunting him. And they didn't they, think about it. Right. And, and, so, and so, T.J. McCants is a worse hitter than Leatherwood, and he let him swing it. Now, T.J. McCants is good. Don't, don't misquote me there. He let Leatherwood – or he let McCants swing it in that exact same situation. Okay, for sure. But do you see what I'm getting at? So, that, that, yes. that LSU game, that Thursday night, right, because that was when we did the live show. Yes, that's a bad loss, right? Like, you don't want to lose that game. But with Gunner going out and Derek Diamond on starting on short notice, losing that Thursday night game to LSU is not drastically affecting your season on the surface. Would you agree with that? Sure, sure. And guess what he didn't do in the top of the ninth when he had first, second, no outs? He, 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 didn't, he didn't bunt. He let his best hitter hit. Okay. And so fast forward three weeks. And today absolutely had huge, huge magnitude on what they were going to be as a postseason team. I mean, you lose this series, as you mentioned. I Would you say all hopes of a national seed are out the door? Boring and miraculous finish. And if it's a win, that's not close to the case, correct? No, I mean, I'll just do the math. I thought they needed to, if they won today, go four and two. That's possible against Vanderbilt and Georgia. So, five, and one, five and one is not possible. Sure, hang with me here. So, in a game that everyone knew was absolutely huge for their postseason hopes, and I'll put it to you out there for you people listening out there. Which one – and you can answer this if you want to. You can be the collective listenership here. Which one were you tighter in? Were you tighter in this moment or when Ole Miss had first and second no outs in the ninth against LSU? Oh, this one, for sure. And guess what happened? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, no, no, I think him bunting is an absolute indicator into his headspace and how he's feeling the nerves and the consequences of the game in the season. Just thoughts on that initially before I go further into it. No, I, I think that's a really good uh, correlation there. Um, I've seen it for four. I, I don't know I used the example this year, but I've seen it for four years now. When I was on the beat and I was covering it every day, like Case and I would look at each other and kind of think the same thing. He bunts when he gets nervous. You know, sometimes people take a dip when they're getting nervous. If you've ever met me, I kind of get <laughs> nervous. I twist my hair sometimes. I'm not a big nicotine guy. I'll have a brew. I have a beer sometimes and I get nervous. Mike Bianco's nervous habit is bunting. Look, <laughs> on his wedding day, and his wife is the sweetest lady ever. Only met her once. Her name's Cammy. If he got that nervous, I'm not surprised his best man was like, hey, man, just lay one down. <laughs> just lay one down on the altar. I mean, am I crazy for thinking this? I swear to God, I've watched this for four years. I think that's the case. Oh, that's – I've never thought about that. That's a really good way to put it. In the biggest moments, they still – Do you remember in 2018 when uh, he pinch hit for Tyler Keenan with Cooper Johnson to bunt in the eighth inning against Georgia? I do. Yeah. And guess what? Guess when was that game? Was it that game in May? Yeah, it was. And what was it? What was on the line there? Go ahead and refresh the people. It's national seed. Hey, guess guess what, guess what happened? Just, just, I just want it on the record. He bunted. He pinch hit for Tyler Keenan to bunt Cooper Johnson. Hey, ask if it worked. Did it work? It didn't work. Okay, well, I rest my hypothesis. I swear I'm, I'm dead on on this. And, you know, maybe it changes as soon as we say something about this and it goes – Slightly mainstream. Not that we have any sort of influence on the high entire well, fan base. I will say this. Here's, here's what I'll say. Um, people lost their minds three weeks ago in Starville. That's, that's fair, right? People were really, really upset about what happened in Starville on Sunday, right? It was our most listened episode for a reason. Shout out to Has the Josh Mallett's pitched since? Has who? Has Josh Mallett's pitched since? No, and you're on to something there. <laughs> Do you think that – 
first off, I think that look, we, we've talked about this before. Mike lives in a bubble and all this. No, but the, that's I, right after you're dead on. As much as he lives in a bubble, does he? There's really? no way. There's no way he doesn't hear some of this stuff. I don't believe it. And someone made a really, really good point today. He won his 800th game yesterday, right? Correct. Okay, 800th game at Ole Miss. Do you see on Twitter? Him quote tweeting all the people that were tweeting at him saying, Congratulations, you're a great job, Mike, all this stuff. Did you see that? I, I did not. I, okay. uh, okay. I just, but that just trust me that he, he, he responded to most people that, you know, have some, some uh, cachet that, you know, were congratulating him and whatnot. So you're going to tell me that he checked his Twitter notifications yesterday, but he didn't check them today? Got a hard time believing that one. Uh, and there's. I'll just put it this way: There's been some, uh, there's been some sort of cat and mouse uh, game with uh, it following and unfollowing certain folks. Anyway, yeah, exactly. He, wait, he said, wait, he goes, no, go ahead. I need to hear this. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> I, 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 I really, I really, really don't want to keep you here until ten o'clock. I, I really don't want to rehash that out today. I just uh, wait. So did, hold on, did it happen this year or like years in the past? De- uh, over the last half decade, it's been, a, it's been a. It's been uh, okay. Okay. I don't, I don't anyway, okay. Yeah, so we don't have time for that. So I, our point being, I don't think he lives in as much of a bubble as uh, most people think he does. And I, I think that's absolutely true. And I think there's absolutely some credence for that. And it could, could, I'll parlay it into this. You know, he makes that decision and Harris hits into the double play. Do you think that affected the way those guys stepped at the plate in the ninth? I'll just leave it to you as someone that's in a dugout. Uh, and coaches no, I, I struggle to believe that. I, I just think I in the ninth. Mean, they just I don't know. I just – I don't think they got it done. I mean, yeah, sure, that, that takes a lot of energy out of you, but I don't think they're at bat correlated to being mad at Mike or being upset, you know, that they made the decision or whatever. I just – I don't think they got it done. I think they had three pretty terrible at bats in the ninth and – you know, it just is what it is from there. I, I mean, sure, the energy's out of the dugout at that point when you have first and second. And, I mean, I, I knew kind of for all intents and purposes the game was over unless, you know, Kevin Graham was able to run into one or maybe Gonzalez. But it just, you know, when you make that decision, uh, it's kind of like, right, when uh, when you go to the line and you're, you know, you're up to and there's eight seconds left and you're trying to pull an upset, you got a front end and you can put the game away with two missed free throws. And you missed the first one, and uh, you know, let's just say Steph Curry's at Davidson goes down the court. It's probably going in, right? Just kind of felt like that when you didn't get it, it when you didn't get it done in the eighth. They're like, man, this this thing's probably over. Like, just kind of feels like how that, that's how the baseball god works, kind of. I, so you're kind of getting at. I, I probably phrased that question terribly. I uh, I wasn't getting at the fact that the fact that Calvin Harris grounded into a double play affected Ole Miss's mindset as a baseball team in the ninth inning. I'm talking about the entire mood in the dugout because we just got done kind of hypothesizing about the fact that Mike Bianco, when he gets tight, in my opinion, goes back to his old habits and bunts and does things of that nature. Okay, so when he's doing that and he's bunting in the dugout, what do you think the mood and the vibe in the dugout is? Because if people that think that's corny and that shit doesn't matter, go look at the 2019 team. And the way that they were acting and the way they yeah. were acting in late April as opposed to early May. And well, I know that you're not necessarily gauging your manager's mood in the middle of a game. And I would know less about this than anyone that's ever stepped in a college dugout. I was just approaching it from that standpoint to where Mike is clearly tight, if that hypothesis is even remotely true. Do you think the fact that those guys, if Mike knows the consequences of this game, 
and he reverted back to kind of that old nervous habit. You don't think that kind of by osmosis maybe wore on those dudes in the later innings? Maybe even before the bunt happened is kind of what I, I think that's, I think that's fair. I can tell you this. I don't know this, but just from watching it on TV, Hayden Leatherwood did not agree with the decision to pinch hit for him. That what was not – He's hitting 370 in SEC play over the last four weeks. Why the – like, okay, I was about to say something I shouldn't. Why would he? He was – he was – he had a other – he had another idea for how that situation was going to work, and I think his idea involved the ball over the right field wall. Which he um, had done – and, again, I, I, this is not a statistical thing, but in big moments – I mean, the Sunday really game is Starkville. The Saturday game when it was still tight, if I'm not mistaken, or maybe it was the Friday game in Starkville, whatever, game one versus – I'm talking about game one and game three or game two and game three. Game he two and three, yeah. home runs in massive moments. Massive. Yep. He and T.J. And he had – hey, hey. Two of the he five had, hits of the years. Would you not agree? He had, he had two RBI singles today. He did, but he, he needs to be punted for. I don't want to run this into the ground, and maybe people. No, I, I think people would enjoy like because they're saying the same thing. Unbelievable. I, I just I can't get past that, and I again these are like I, I I'm sounding emotional, and I, I'm not. I'm more. I, I didn't even watch it from the television from the last two innings. I just I, I'm in disbelief. Let me, let me ask this. Let me ask we have this. a good group of kids that are fighting their ass off. Through a and ton, you blow it. A ton of adversity. I mean, those kids, and again, we'll get into it in a second. Sorry for keep teasing it. Those kids know the writing may be on the wall with Gunnar Hoagland. Those kids watched Tim Elko limp off the mound and limp around the bases yesterday after hitting a home run. They've overcome a lot, and they've had two or three decisions taken almost directly out of their hands. Like, yes, if Elko hits it over the fence there, hits it in the gap, is it? technically in his hands, but he's not as good a position to succeed, even as if, even if he had – even as if he had hit for Harris with two outs. They're putting him in bad positions. It's like they put Josh Mallett's in bad positions. You mentioned, like, talk about nervous habit. Like Mike Bianco, nervous habit seemed to be Josh Mallett's from the pitching standpoint, and after he blew it against Mississippi State, like you mentioned, has he pitched a, a pitch – he threw in the midweek game last week. He pitched a pitch against a school with an SEC logo on there. No, he's not. He's not appeared since. Has he warmed up with the against the school with an SEC logo? Not to my knowledge, no. Has he gone to the bullpen with the school with an SEC logo? Not to my knowledge, no. I'm pretty sure he's not. So, what do you make of that? We'll go one final thought before we go back. I mean, come on. He preface it like this: Is there anybody? And I, and I look, look, we can we think we both agree this is one of, if, if not the best offense in the country. Okay. Is there anybody in that situation? And I do mean anybody that you would have pinch hit. Like, let's just take the order as it was constructed today. Is there anybody you would have pinch hit for to bunt? Anybody? Kale Baker, Calvin Harris, Hayden Leatherwood. Would you have done it for anybody? No. If I was dropped out of the sky and given a statistic sheet three minutes to here, play, but here, that's not even adding on to the fact that that's been their whole MO the whole year. Here's, here's my issue. You have the best pinch hitter in the history of the world. Like, literally, in college baseball, you have the best pinch hitter possible. There's no oh, way. He's about to come hit you in the crotch, but go Look, ahead. Look, he's second. He's second, and if it was up to me, I'd build a statue of Holt Herzog. <laughs> um, but you have the best pinch hitter in the history of the world. Anytime that he's available, 
and it goes through your little head. Let's bunt. Just put him in. Just put him in. Because if he puts in Elko for Leatherwood, you don't hear a word out of me. Not what I think it's stupid. You wouldn't have heard a word out of me. And and because Elko probably would have hit a ball off the wall against that left-handed pitcher. But like that that should be that's I swear to God, if I was Clement, that's what I'd do. Anytime we think about bunting, just put Elko in. Just do that instead, because that's going to be better than a bunt. It sounds like you're you're piggybacking off my theory of the shot collar Josh Mowitz thing. <laughs> Is that fair? Just, just, just put Elko in. He wants to bunt. If he's sitting there going to Clement Bunt, Clement should have a button where it goes, and then Elko just refuses <laughs> at the plate. Or someone, anyone, anyone that's not going to bunt, anyone that can't bunt. Elko would be damned. If Elko was on the side with one leg, anyone. I could uh, – all right, I will say this. I could have humored, humored, bunting for Kale Baker there. I could have humored it. I wouldn't have done it. But I, I wouldn't have been – strikes out a lot because he strikes sure. out a ton, correct? And, and, and he's, he's got a real possibility of grounding into a double play. Yes. I could have that one. But I guess wouldn't have done it. Passing is faster. Do what? Brotherwood. But go ahead, finish because I've, no, I've thought after this. I just—he's got to stop, man. You—you've you, got a team. Look, I—we're going to talk about Gunner, like you said here in a second. This team without Gunner has a very, very narrow path. Look, it was—it was pretty narrow before Gunner got hurt, but it, 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 it was possible. It's very narrow. Look at the midweek games. Look at what and happened. Now, like you—you've got—you <laughs> went from like a two-lane road to the College World Series to, like, a dirt road that might possibly have been caved in with a tornado. So – hoping, hoping the guy that doesn't pick you up is, on dr- is not on drugs. So what can't happen with the path that just got extremely narrow if Gunner's out um, is the coach can't blow it. 100%. So everything's kind of got to be – When it became the two-lane path, like you mentioned earlier, that's a great point. It can't happen that way. Like this team, there's a path to the College World Series without Gunnar Hogan. I'll say that right now. There is a path because this offense presents a path. But it's a, like I said, it's a dirt road that might have possibly been caved in and doesn't have a bridge. So what you can't do is do donuts on it because you're being a stupid uh, in-game management. Go ahead. All right, final interesting thought on what happened in the eighth inning and everything that happened today was – one thing that stood out to me, like, about that entire deal is none of it was shocking. Like, once the Van Cleef part of it happened, didn't you kind of expect for the rest of the inning to become a clown show? Or am I off base with that? Well, no. I, I, I mean, I was hopeful that, you know, Calvin Harris would get it done or Jacob Gonzalez would get it done. I, I didn't necessarily – I mean, from a decision-making standpoint. Sure. Oh, yeah, from a decision-making standpoint. When, when he pinch hit the I, hottest hitter on the team and the statistically the best hitter in the SEC sure. him, anything strategic that happened after that, which is all the inning is, look, Calvin Harris, Kel Baker aside, like abilities aside and what you think of them as baseball players aside, the rest of that is strategy. And I just thought the rest of it was going to be a clown trade. It, it became that, which is unfortunate. Yeah, I, uh, I tweeted out after he pinch hit for – uh, Leatherwood, I said, I wonder what Mike Bianco's next trick will be. Like, I, you know, somehow in this game, Cade Sammons and John Rice Plumley both wound up in the outfield at the same time. So imagine if Ole Miss had gotten it to extras, what that lineup would have looked like. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, God. 
you're setting yourself up for success. I mean, it. I, I, I don't know. I, 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 the fact that, I mean, you can encompass it with this. The fact that you got first and second on at that part of the order and Jacob Gonzalez step, never steps to the plate with what A&M's bullpen was is astonishing to me. Because even if you like, even if you want to do the small ball thing, because people got onto him two weeks ago. So I hope all you people that got all mad at Mike Bianco for not bunning in the ninth inning against LSU, I hope you absolutely just plasterize, I posterize the Ben Van Cleve bunt because he is big sexy. I hope you, I hope you printed that out and put it on your walls and just stare at it because you have no room to talk in that instance. But even after that, it's like. Holy cow! Like there were so many other options and ways to do. Do you think? Why are you giving them out? Even if you agree with that, why are you giving them out? Yeah, you got six of them left. Mike was like, you know what? Have one. We don't need it anyways. Um, you think? You think Mike's a smoker? Like, you think he smokes cigarettes, cigars, or anything? Uh, I mean, the better question might be some funky grass after today, but no, I do not believe that is the case. Okay. Okay. Well, you know what? The guy that uh. That, that smoked for a while that, you know, maybe wants to quit. And, uh, you know, like, you think Mike just relapsed? You think, like, you just got really stressed? Yes. You think that you just got really stressed and, and, and relapsed? We're, <laughs> to get him a butt, no? We're just putting more color into my theory. And, like, all joking aside, I seriously think that's a thing. I think when he gets nervous and he gets tight, he bunts. I, I don't yeah. What's a better way to articulate it? As a baseball coach, what do you like in your mind? Like, like when you're bunting to put the guys over with one out? No, I don't bunt, but go ahead. You, you don't. I know you don't. But like, what do you, <laughs> I, I guess I'm trying to put a phrase to call it that. And I don't even know if this is good podcasting. But when you're first and second against LSU and you don't do it because you know that game's not affecting you. And I've gone over this theory over and over again. But when you do do it, like, is that mitigating risk is that mitigating risk of losing yeah risk? what do you call yeah, it? what do you call it? um so it, it is a little bit of mitigating risk and, and what some of it is is look coaches have this mindset and i do too um i, I have this mindset too it, but it, it's not true if you look at it statistically it's not it's not something that's true but you do believe this in your heart if i can get a guy to third base with less than two outs i'm going to score him every single time that's not true Ole Miss is at like 58%. But I can tell you that people, honest to God, believe that. Um, and, and I struggle with that too. I, I, I really, really emphasize getting the third with less than two outs because you think every time that run's going to score and it just doesn't. So I can understand why he wants to get that guy to third with less than two outs. I get it. But, man, it's it's just something that it doesn't always happen like that. And it, it, the the – giving away an out to have that opportunity just especially at the bottom of your order just isn't worth it It, it's just not worth it and so I think that's what it is he's just fixated on this mindset of okay if I can get that guy to third I'm going to tie the baseball game right here yep I I just again I'm not even the biggest analytics guy that you know we've argued about that in the past I just I don't understand giving them an out particularly with that bullpen I don't think in a normal scenario, and this is the last thing I'll say about it before we move on to something else. If this game and this happened March 25th, a week and a half into SEC play, does he bunt there? I mean, you're answering your own question. You didn't bunt against LSU. I rest my case. So, be that as it may, the Ole Miss Rebels are now 14 and 9. No, 14 and 10. Excuse me. Sorry. There's six weeks to go. 
they're coming back home for a series against Vanderbilt. They, you know, before we go big picture, let's just back up. The Friday game was weird. I, you know, yeah. the, we'll go back to it. So Hoagland gets scratched. Uh, can we can we dump on the announcers for a bit? I've been waiting. Oh my god, yeah, dear and, god. And you, you, I, I get your point when you say they have a hard job knowing that he did not come out for performance when the trainer walked out to the mound is not hard. Like, you just use your eyes. For sure. That was my – that was kind of my – Oh, my God. We went four innings thinking that man came out because he threw some bad pitches. Four innings? Finally in the seventh, which was after the first inning. So, that's six by my count. The, 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 the older guy, the older gentleman finally goes, you know, something might have happened. <laughs> He looked at his head. He looks at the play-by-play guy and goes, you know, something might have been up with him. It's like, wow. So extra analysis, Chief. I, I don't know where to start with that one. So we'll just we'll, announcers aside. I'll just let my announcer criticism bleed into it because, as I mentioned to multiple people on the internet on Friday, I found criticism of announcers uh, very nauseating, particularly on the internet. Because, man. Other than hosting a solo national radio show a la Colin Cowherd, and however you feel about Colin Cowherd, that job and that talent, that talent is so rare, and that job is so hard. And you know what else is hard is television. As much as I love to dump on my old pal Richard Cross, his versatility and his ability to host a radio show, and granted the radio show I think is easier for them because he had help. And he always had a co-host, and he had you know four of us while I was on the show. I think it makes it easier. But you still have to fill airtime. You still have to guide a show. And on a broadcast, you have to fill so much airtime and you have to guide us through a game as a listener. I think that's an incredible talent. And that's why I'm very hesitant to criticize people like that. But holy God, when <laughs> when your first round pick gets through, what, four batters? He was two outs into the game. And then it's like, oh, he hadn't had a bad start all year if you look at his game log. This was 10 minutes after he went through every single stat on Hoagland's media relations stat line that was simultaneously displayed on the screen and determined that he's a pretty good Friday night guy in this league. <laughs> 15 minutes after that, the guy goes, he's had pretty good outings all year, but just two-thirds of an inning as they go to the setup, man. Do you know how pissed off I would have been if Mike would have pulled Gunner just because he wasn't pitching well in the first inning? You can make sense that it was less shocking than what happened today, but I'm just not going to go there at this moment. Anyway, Gunner comes out after two and a third innings. You immediately know something. Oh, 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 oh. You, you said two and a third, point two. Excuse me, point two. Sorry, two thirds of an inning. Thank you for correcting me on that one. He comes out two thirds in the inning, and you know things are getting weird after that. Um, you know, I thought Diamond, obviously he imploded at the end, and we'll get that into a second. But, you know, for the next four innings, I thought he was really good for a guy that did not anticipate starting that day. And I know they made a told him with the pregame when Hunter Gunner had the uh, tightness or whatever it is, and we'll get in that into a second, to kind of be ready and be ready quick. But you know, even implosion aside, I would like to give that kid a little bit of credit. That's not easy to do, and he's done that twice now. Yeah, it's – Yes, when, when – yeah, sure. He, he came out and gave Ole Miss an opportunity to, to build the lead over the first four innings. I thought he was fine. It's just the same thing that continues to plague him. He can't get off the field, and you can make that of what you what you will. I, I don't really have an opinion on it. It's just when things go south. I mean, he throws the bunt into the left field, and then he gives up the homer to Frizzell, and it's like, all right, well, you gave up the homer. It's five to four. It's okay. And God almighty, he just could not get the off the field. Um, so, 
make of that what you will. I, I don't I don't really have an opinion on it. Um, so I, yeah, he was fine. He, he gave Ole Miss a chance until you know he didn't. I think that's all you could ask him to do in that moment, and we'll get to what happened at the end of the. Well, he, he, he's got to be better, though. Like, at the, absolutely. Like, what, absolutely. Two things can be true, though, in my opinion. Sure. God almighty. Especially now, like, big picture-wise, if he's – if Gunnar – let's just keep it real. If Gunnar Hoagland's not going to play the rest of the year, uh, Derek Diamond's going to be in the rotation, and he's got to stop being able to – stop he's just get he, – he cannot get assaulted with two outs. He's got to figure out a way to get off the field. 100%. You're, no, you're dead on. I just think – I think what he did – on short notice, getting them to the fifth inning deserves uh, credit because at that point, Ole Miss is nursing the lead and A&M again, I'm slowly creeping back into the thing. It's 4-3 heading into the fifth. But that's where things have gone wrong for him all year. And it's interesting. He shirked it to some degree. It wasn't the exact same scenario. But, you know, his defense kicked the ball around for him and he allowed – was that three unearned, unearned runs in the first inning against LSU? Two. Is that correct? Two. Two. Excuse me. Sorry, they scored two unearned runs. And he's citing a spot start. And he just went out and shoved after that for six innings and was absolutely brilliant. But what he is – that aside, unless I'm mistaking another time, when things go bad for him, he has been unable to even make it manageably bad. So, let's just play it out. That fifth inning in the Friday night game against Texas A&M. Ole Miss is up four to three, right? He yep. gets a, The kid reaches on a throwing error. He gets two flyouts in a row. Okay, fine. Like, you know, the Get off the field. Didn't go his way, right? Get off the field, right? Okay, if two outs, Frizzell's up. You know, that was the beginning of his assault on Ole Miss pitching. 2-2 wasn't a terrible pitch, wasn't a great one. I don't know. Where would you consider that pitch that Frizzell hit that home run on? Uh, I, I thought Frizzell just made a good play. I thought so, too. I mean, if I'm not mistaken, did he not poke that thing oppo? Yeah, he hit it opposite field. I just that, – that, that one yeah, – Good piece of hitting. Okay, sure. fine. It's two-two. Should you not give? Should you give up the home run? Of course not. But that turned out to be the hottest hitter of the weekend. Okay, five-four. It's not the end of the world. That game was never ending five-to-four with a bullpen. No. It was never ending five-to-four. But guess what happens? Single, wild pitch, walk. Uh, Miller comes in, and then like, what? Well, single? Excuse me. Single, wild pitch, double, four, seven-to-four. And then Miller comes in. Like, that, that can't continue to happen for him if he's going to be the face of a rotation next year, which is kind of their hope, if I'm not mistaken. Well, I mean, you see everybody else in the, on this pin. He, he has to be in the rotation next year. I mean, God, someone's got to get an out. And it's not true freshman Gunnar Hoagland trying to figure out that, oh, I can't throw a fastball in the strike zone every time I get behind. This kid's not that young anymore. No, Gunnar, Gunnar was able to get off the field at times. Gunnar's mentality was never the issue. Gunner got shelled. Gunner did not have just when things got bad, his mentality – not mentality went down. When things got bad for Gunner and he had opportunities to get off the field, it wasn't always disastrous. When Gunner was bad, it was bad from the get-go that year because those dudes were just teeing off on this fastball because he had nothing else to offer them. This is entirely different. This is almost a mindset thing, is it not? Yep. Absolutely a mindset thing that I don't – I mean, you remember when AK would, like, talk about confidence and he would say confidence is like cash you got to have something to make summer something like that they're dominating cash yeah until he just does it i don't he has no confidence in himself right now and until he just does it consistently and, gonna, gonna lack for that i thought he was off to a good start it's kind of why i hated it blew up on him um because i thought he was off you know in that realm with the outing against lsu the outing against south carolina but you know you, you have this one where you just can't get off the field Right, exactly. Even the Frizzell home run, 
if the next kid, which is Bost, which has kind of been the, the guy living in the shadows all weekend, if he has induced, if if he gets him out, weak ground out, yes. whatever you want to call it, we're not talking about Derek Diamond remotely nope. helping it like factor into an Ole Miss loss. Like, yes, he gave up a bad home run, but you know, you get through the fifth inning and you get to the sixth, and they're down five to four with Gunnar Hogan coming after two batters. Would you not have taken that? Like, we're not talking Absolutely. about if the next three batters don't happen. Am I wrong? It's Absolutely. Happening. I mean, didn't Ole Miss put up four in the next inning? Correct. And guess what happens if it's 5-4? Ole Miss is winning that game 8-6 to six minimum, maximum, yep. whatever, yep. which way you want to put it. That can continue to happen. And I had a buddy of mine. Well, and, and, and honestly, I mean, you think about it. If Ole Miss gets up 8-5 to five there, A&M probably doesn't throw their better bullpen arm. So he probably gets to 11-5, 12-5 like he did on Saturday. It's a great point. They probably punt on the game. Yep. Because you know why they were holding, and we'll get into that in a second, you know why they are holding the Miller kid? was to help them try to win a game. You're exactly yep. talking about that. They probably punt on that at Ole Miss. Because you saw what happened when Ole Miss got even to their – I don't even want to say middling bullpen arms. It was just past Miller and that one other kid. What was the left-hander's name? Joswick. Yeah, but past those two, Ole Miss teed off on those kids. So, you're exactly right. I think that's a great point. And, but, you know, when it becomes 8-4, to four, it's an entirely different way of looking at things and doing things. And, that, that, you know, that's, that's kind of been his deal all year, right? I mean, I, th- I think I put on Twitter, and I wasn't even trying to be a smartass, but that's kind of epitomized diamond season, you know, when you know, a, a drizzle turns into a monsoon, and that's happened way too often with him. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, got to, you know, I, I hate the got to make a pitch, get off the field thing, but, like, you have to. Kind of, He's the epitome of that, in my opinion. It's kind of true. I don't. I don't think people. Mike means it in a different way than what I think people take it. Like he's not saying, "Yeah, just got to throw that ball by him, get him off field." It's like, no, he's, he's got to be mentally tough enough to be able to throw a slider into the strike zone and not be scared to get in there and compete after Frizzell hits the ball 484 feet. It's like you 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 got to be able to get back in there and, and know that you're good enough to get outs. And and I just worry. Um, and this isn't like. I saw somebody called Derek Diamond soft. He's not soft. No. Um, he, 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 Go ahead. Finish your thoughts. He just, he's got some confidence issues right now to me. And, and, you know, I don't really think he trusts what I think is really good stuff. I think the kid's going to be really good. Um, just right now and, and things go badly. I don't – I just don't think he has a whole lot of confidence in himself. Agree. And – which is a shame because, you know, if you're talking about Derek Diamond's season and really his career as a whole – you know, other than kind of shoving immediately as a freshman, and, you know, I, I tend to put less credence in that because they had not got into conference play, which sure. led me to a bigger picture. And, and some of those numbers, if you go back and look at them, were not as good as you think. No, but he did what he had to do against the opponents sure. that he had to sure. do. Sure, if he would have done, you know, obviously what he did in last year's non-conference, he'd still be in the rotation, and Ole Miss would probably have a few more wins. Sure, and you're underscoring my point for me. I, I guess what I'm arguing sure. is that, like after what he did against LSU in the last couple of relief outings, why would he not be the most confident he's ever been in his career? I know what happened in, early in this year wasn't great, but just recency bias. I mean, don't they say pitchers have to have a short memory? Why would you in the world would – I guess that's quarterback. Sorry for the mixed reference. But, like, why would he not be as confident as he's ever been? That, that's almost as much concerning. He just jumped on LSU with short notice. He had an incredible weekend last week in South Carolina. Why would he be lacking confidence? I don't know. It, it just it is what it is. I mean, that you know, it's confidence is something. It's like, yeah, yeah, sure. He, he's had the the three outings against South Carolina and then Little Rock and then, you know, uh, or Arkansas State, not Little Rock, South Carolina, Arkansas State, and then, uh, you know, LSU where it was really good. But, you know, I, I think, too, like, 
you got to still remember he's the guy in the bullpen because he didn't pitch well against Arkansas. He didn't pitch well against Florida. He didn't pitch well against Mississippi State. Um, so, you know, it's just, a, it, you know, I, I think that he can take some confidence from those last three games. But the other the other games happen too. So, I wonder, you know, when, when things start to go poorly for him, if he reverts back to thinking, you know, or, or to the mindset of uh, this is what happened against Arkansas. This is what happened against Florida. Um you know, so I, I don't know. We'll see. I know Ole Miss needs him. Um, you know, th- there was a point in this year where I thought Ole Miss was kind of close to just throwing Derek Diamond away and just trying to ma- navigate the season uh, without him. Um, that is no longer possible with, you know, I, I don't know what's coming. I never um, thought that was possible. I, well, I- I'll be honest. After Mississippi State, I just wondered from a confidence standpoint how you could get him back out there. Um, but, you know, with and, and I'm not. I, I was gonna say well, what we think's coming on Monday with Gunner's MRI. I don't necessarily look. Gunner's gonna have an MRI on Monday. We'll see what's in there. I, I don't know what's. I don't pretend to know what's gonna be on the MRI. I just think it's possible that. I, I do think it's naive to think that Gunner probably starts next week. Um, you know, it's it's possible he's maybe throwing his last pitch on his uniform. It's possible he starts um, Friday against Vanderbilt. I don't. I don't know. I just do know that if he does miss any time which I think is likely. I think regardless of what that MRI shows, he probably is going to take a week or two off. Uh, Derek Diamond is going to have to throw valuable innings. And if, you know, truth be told, he's probably back into the rotation, although I could argue that he shouldn't be. I would argue that there's another member of the Ole Miss pitching staff that should go into the rotation before him. But uh, we'll see. I just know that, you know, if Gunnar Hoagland's out for any extended period of time, Derek Diamond has to factor in. There's, there's really no way around that. Ole Miss matches them with a four spot in the bottom of the inning, which I thought, you know, as we've thought about this offense all year, they show great resolve, right? I mean, Toughness. They, yeah. back to back completely after that. I think I saw, I was, you know, sitting at my house, not doing anything on Friday. I think you tweeted something about like getting two here, showing toughness. They go back to back completely after that, you know, tie it up. And you could argue they probably should have taken the lead in that inning, but they immediately sure. respond as they've done all year. But in that same breath, you know, as, as bad as the diamond thing turned out and it ends up 8-4 after that inning, um, going – not scoring in the seventh, eighth, or ninth inning against – Really bad. And bullpen, I thought was actually more so with lost Ole Miss that game. All things considered, just because in my mind I'm sitting there thinking about it at that point, okay, you know, your, your hoss, your, your, your biggest gun, Gunnar Hoagland, goes out, you know, two outs into the baseball game. I just assumed stuff was going to get weird. And so if I'm looking at it from an offensive standpoint, you can't stop scoring. And even with the diamond thing going the way it did, I, I shouldered a decent bit of the blame on that loss for the offense just kind of going dark over the last nine outs. That was kind of bizarre. And I know they went with the Miller kid. Did they go with him in the eighth or the ninth? No, no Miller only faced two batters on Friday night. Exactly. And I, I was kind of shocked by that. Were you surprised that they used him in a tie game? Because I thought the whole point of that strategy, and if you haven't listened to Friday pod, that kid's name is Bryce Miller. He's been a starter for them all year. He's their best pitcher. Uh, Texas A&M's coach, Rob Childress, pretty much just tried to do a wrinkle to where he was hope of getting one game was to not start the kid. And kind of the Tommy May situation against Florida was, correct me if I'm wrong, A&M gets a lead after five innings, and they let that kid try to preserve it. That's the strategy. I was surprised he came in the game with, in a tie game. Uh, be that as it may, I'm throwing a lot at you. But them not scoring over the last three innings I thought was – not inexcusable, but, like, borderline just – I mean, it was very bad. And I almost put equal blame on that than I do in what happened in the fifth or sixth inning or whatever that was. Yeah. So, so, so it's tough. It's tough for me, right, because, you know, yes, not scoring in three runs and, and or a run in the last three innings is bad, but, like, scoring eight runs on a Friday night is good. 
So, like, how do you weigh that against, you know, not scoring over the last three innings is bad, but scoring eight runs in the first inning, six innings is really, really good. Um, you know, and, and reality is, yes, they should have scored. Reality is, too, they scored eight runs on a Friday night. It's got to win you a baseball. You got to win you a baseball game doing that. And, you know, it, it's – it. You look back on the season, right? You look back and you say, "Man, if if Gunner pitches against A and M and Gunner pitches against you know LSU, this team's sixteen and eight. You look back, or yeah, sixteen and eight. You look back if Mike doesn't do remarkably stupid things in two games, this team's sixteen and eight. It just kind of starting to feel like you look back on this season and and kind of think, man, if we'd have just done this or this, it, it'd been a different year. Um, you know, obviously, there's still time, but it just kind of feels like that's the type of game that you look back on. It's like, crap, if we'd have just done this different, we'd have won the baseball game. Agreed, 100%. And then they do bounce back as they always do. Uh, you know, on, on Saturday, Doug was – you know, Doug again for the third consecutive week wasn't as sharp as he's been, but he gives them enough length in the Is offense. Is that starting to get a little concerning? I mean, at this point, if you're ranking the list of concerns on this team, it isn't like – It's not that. No, he's still he's still getting you through six innings. Yes, is it the fact that he's not sharp? Um, I, if you're out of all the uncertainties on this team, if you're making me wager on the most thing that I feel is certain that will happen is that Doug will eventually figure that out as they get into the postseason. Is that fair? You, you say that Doug's it's three in a row. Oh wait, wait, is that China rocket landed yet? Uh, I'm still alive, and one yeah. of the flight paths was over Texas and and Fort Worth that I read into. I was kind of looking okay, at this. Well, I'm just – I'm concerned at this rate that that thing's going to land on Doug McKay's apartment. Or the Wrightville bullpen. Further well, than Doug's apartment. Yeah, but, yeah, he's gotten, as you point, a little bit unfortunate. But don't you think he's – like, do you have any doubt that in – if this team's in a regional game in June they have to win, do you not think he's going to be nails? Yeah, it'd be great. I'm just – yeah. I just worry I, I, about. No, I, I agree that that's three in a row. As, to your, as your point, that's that's at least three in a row. Correct where he was. I mean, from Mississippi State on, he hasn't been great. No, he was he was good against South Carolina. I shouldn't say that. And you know, LSU and and A and M, he just competes and fights his gut guts out. Um, but you know, it's I just I'd like to see him be dominant again, and, and I'm sure he will be. Like you said, at some point, uh, you know, Vanderbilt, Georgia, SEC tournament, NCAA regional, he'll be dominant again, and and I. I I probably am a little bit of reactionary worrying about him. Um, I just kind of would like to see it. And frankly, if Ole Miss is going to have a shot next weekend at Vanderbilt or against Vanderbilt, I should say, I mean, Doug Nikhazy has got to be really, really good. He has to be as good as he's been all year, and they have to win that game to have any bit of a shot. Um, so, but th- as you may, like the, another, I guess another point on the offense was, you know, that game wasn't going great for them for, for quite a while. Not no, while. no Weber was good. Time. Yeah, and th- that, that was a huge – Huge spot, as you mentioned, and then they continue to add on. Like, they talk about the resiliency of an offense. They kind of had – I don't know. I thought four out of those first five innings were kind of crap, and then they busted it open, which good teams do where they absolutely – I mean, I know you were upset with Chris Burke, which I didn't understand his postseason prognostications within that game in terms of talking about Ole Miss sweating it out. But his general point of that being an uberly important game for Ole Miss was well stated, and the offense kind of – you know, took it out of anyone else's hands, which good for them. They're an elite offense. That's well, my, my issue with Chris Burke is that he said if Ole Miss lost the series, they weren't going to be selected as a host. Well, they lost this series, and I'm telling you, on Thursday, they're going to be picked in the 20. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, I, they you, know, would, you mentioned an uncomfortable sleep if they lost that day. I was like, pow. 
Come on. Have you seen the back end of this bubble for hosting, bud? Anyways, um, we're talking about Charlotte and Southern Miss. But anyway, yeah, I'll move on. It, yeah, the offense was really good. Uh, Doug, we gave him what he needed. Um, I didn't think Wes Burton was particularly good, but he did what they needed him to do. Um, I wish he'd stop walking people because if he'd stop walking people, Mike might use him in high leverage situations. Um, yeah, I thought he was good. and Or I thought Doug was good enough, and then the offense was really good. Uh, I mean, let's know, just get to it. The story of that game was Tim Elko. How badass was That was awesome. That was awesome. I don't I don't look I obviously love Ole Miss baseball and it's my favorite sport. Um I don't like get nostalgic or like emotion emotional is not the right word because I didn't like break down or cry or anything. But uh that one that one hit me in the feels. That that was awesome. That that one hit me dude. pretty good. You you know me, you like almost get frustrated with me at times to where like you know, covering Ole Miss and covering kind of the clown show that was Ole Miss for the better part of the twenty teens uh decade or the latter half of the 20 teams decade, I just kind of became immune to every bit of it. Like, I just don't care. I, I'm there to do my job. I'm there to tell the kind of the crazy-ass stories they, that they were there. And, like, I don't really – like, I, I mentioned to you, like, I kind of get involved with the Tennessee Titans now. Our Cubs fandom died out, like, almost before they won the World Series. My point being, I don't get, like, emotionally entrapped in sporting events anymore. I find the strategy and the storyline incredibly compelling. I find the athleticism very admirable. And, like, that's the kind of what I enjoy about it. And I, even just in life, like, I, I, I would admit that I'm probably emotionally bankrupt to the point where it's almost, like, scary. Um, to the point where I just don't get worked up over a whole hell of a lot. But that, that did kind of make me be like, wow, this is very cool. Like, I, I kind of felt the, some of the same things that I imagined Tim Elko was feeling. I, I'll just put it that way. That one caught me in the stomach, too, as well. And very, very, very few things catch me that way that was so badass I, I, there's no other way to describe it that was awesome that yeah I mean, you're really happy for what what is a good kid um and you know what doesn't get talked about enough is like when, when he goes down against north alabama I and mean, i was sick to my stomach for that kid because look I, i'm i'm a proponent of student athletes being able to do what they want especially in college baseball when we're, you're talking about guys taking out loans to play and 60 percent scholarships there is something to be said for a guy that sat behind a generational player, waited his turn, um, and was making the most of his opportunities. He was – he is, frankly, the past two years, the COVID year and this year, been Ole Miss's best player. He was the best player on the 2020 team, is the best player on this team. And uh, to have that happen to you, it, it could have been easy, really, really easy to say, you know what, man, I'm done. Like this, this hasn't worked out. Like I sat on the bench for two years. I'm finally having a great year. And this freaking pandemic hits. I'm having another great year, and I tear my ACL. It could have been really easy just after finals, pack it up, go home, and, and, and say the hell with it. I'm going to go try to play Major League Baseball. Um, really cool that he did. Really cool that he had the, didn't have the surgery and is fighting his guts out for, for a team that, look, we can debate what, what this team can do. Tim Elko thinks this team can win the national title. I can tell you that. Um, Otherwise, he wouldn't be out there on the field. And, and it's, it's, it's really a cool thing to see. And, and frankly, I mean, this isn't just a feel-good story, right? Like, yeah, it is. But, like, if Ole Miss is going to make the College World Series, Tim Oko is going to be involved in that. Like, I, I think at this point, that's just kind of reality. Agreed. And, and at what point do you just kind of – I hate to be this guy. I had a oh. person down that I almost don't want to go this way. Um. Did you see him round the bases? Yeah. It didn't look great. I mean, no. you talk about kind of the pitter-patter stutter steps and 
maybe that's different in game action instead of him just being uber careful when he doesn't have to actually run. But did, maybe I'm just being that guy. I'm not trying to be next up on first take. I'm going to tell you why Tim Elko can't get to second base. But did that concern you at all? I, I didn't think like, – Well, well – well, That was kind of like, yeah, I what don't are know. We, what are we discussing here? Um, can he hit the ball to right field on a single and get to first base? Yeah. yeah th- that's what we're discussing. I just – Okay, I just, yeah. That, that's no issue. He can run straight. Um, you know, turning's an issue. Can he from first base get to third base on a ball in the gap? Yeah, I think so. I okay, think so. That's maybe where I disagree. Get to I'm third, not, not score. Not score. Get to Can third. Can I see it first? Yeah, sure. I mean, I, the I, way, I just thought the way he turned around the bases, I know I sound foolish. So anyone out there is like this asshole. I, I get it. I, I just, that looked so ginger. I was like, how is that guy going to turn and plan and run around the bases? I mean, yeah. Well, I'll, I'll need to see it too. Um, I, I just, I think they're going to give him time, but I, I do think at some point he will be the everyday, the everyday DH for this team. I don't think it's, I don't think it's next week. Think why don't maybe. We just, you know, why don't we hit that right there? Why don't we hit the DH thing right there? Aren't you, aren't you approaching the point where you have no other choice? I mean, unless you want to go with the the Leatherwood lineup where Plumley is in the outfield, you can't do that. Okay, fair enough. I'm not even. I, I don't even know how I feel about that one. Can we put the Van Cleef thing out the pasture? In what way, my man? He hits left-handed pitching. He hit a ball. He almost hit a homer yesterday. He hit a triple yesterday. Get off my boy. Okay, so I was I, I was very much rooting for that thing to get over the fence because as soon as it did not, that get thing over, was crushed. I was like, damn it, this guy's gonna have hey. the world's longest single. And my man got to third base. <laughs> Lid like a majestic seal. So I will give you this. I mean, let me say this. Ben Van Cleve, his last 15 SEC games, 280 batting average, 357 OBP, 400 slugging, 757 OPS. That's not the worst thing I've ever heard in the world. No, but I mean, he got six at bats against left handed pitching and had a hit. Excuse me, seven. Well, what was the triple? It's a big deal. No, that wasn't. It's important. But are you really – like, are you counting on that guy? Like, uh, okay, that's no, fine. Look, no, look, if Tim Elko can play, no, I DH him. I DH Tim Elko. But, no, if there's a left-handed pitcher on the mound, no, Ben Van Cleve's my DH. I mean, it, if, if Elko can't do it. Leatherwood and Plumlee. Do what? For four at-bats. So, when there's – Tim yeah. Elko side. Say Tim Elko's not available. Yeah. They're not doing it every day. For four at-bats against a left-handed pitcher – you are doing Vin. I, I'm not. I don't mean this pointedly. I'm asking you. They're, you're doing Ben Van Cleve for four at bats instead of Leatherwood as DH and Plumley in the outfield. Absolutely. I. I Fair enough. He's got an eight eight eighty OPS against left-handed pitching. He hits left-handed pitching. I mean, it wasn't a great weekend, without a doubt. But I, the, the sample size is like forty five at bats. I, I kind of think he can just hit lefties. How many of those are SEC pitchers? Uh, I figured it up one time. It was. I mean, it was pretty. Like the continuity was pretty straightforward. I mean, it was—I don't know—it was like an eight thirty OPS against SEC pitchers. Fair enough. I've sold my Van Cleef stock, um, so we disagree on that. But you know, one thing we can agree on—I would like to not even see him butt again. <laughs> you know, he said Mike, Mike said he was going to do it. Uh, going to do it when Kemp Alderman hit the walk-off home run. Rest in peace, Kemp's uh, freshman year. It lasted two weeks. God. Yeah, he didn't redshirt, did he? No. <laughs> it's, 
And it lasted two weeks. He's done. He didn't play this weekend. He didn't play against Little Rock. That was a rhetorical question, Farley, for the few people out there that have seen Mr. Woodcock. Um, so, you know, they respond, and then today happens. I, I don't know. I, mean, I guess we can hit up the, the other parts of today. Drew McDaniel had a tough start. You know, he gives up. Wait, what? What? Drew went 4.2 and gave up two. I'd take that all day. I said tough start. I thought you just meant like start in general. No, no, no. Sorry, sorry. Tough start to the game. I, I was kind of okay. getting to the second part of that, right? Because he gives up. Was it a walk or a single before the home run? I can't remember. It was a, it was, it was a single, I'm pretty sure. Right, same thing. Kid hits the ball over the fence. Good for Logan Frizzell. He absolutely murdered Ole Miss this week, and there's nothing about it. Kid held it together after that. I'm not concerned sure. about uh, – I wasn't trying to make a uh, Drew McDaniel point after that. I just meant he got off to a tough start. Ole Miss rebounded, and he gave them a chance once again. I just think the – I think the TBA thing, I mean, particularly with Gunner's deal, is, is done now, right? I mean, Drew McDaniel's your Sunday guy. Sure. Um, yeah, absolutely. I think I listened to Mike's post-game radio interview. There was – I think Diamond was going to be the Sunday guy. Okay, well, that's what I was about to ask. All that drama aside, had the first couple games gone to plan and Gunner not had his forearm tightness, and just say Ole Miss, either they lose the Friday night game, just say Gunner goes deep and they use one bullpen arm that's not Derek Diamond. Like, how did you see Sunday playing out? Did you think that was kind of a smoke screen or he was actually looking at no. it? Because you remember we kind of had a uh, – we kind of had a – We, kinda we had, had an epiphany. Uh, yeah, we had an epiphany and it immediately became crystal, crystal clear in our podcasting brains that it was Jack Doherty, but it doesn't sound like it was ever that. No. Um, I think – I think if they had gotten through the weekend without using Diamond, Diamond was going to start. And I say that because uh, Brad Henderson asked him, you know, what he'll do on Sunday now that Diamond's pitching. Um, or he asked, what, you know, do you know what you'll do on Sunday after the game on Friday, which I felt kind of weird about. He's like, well, we'll obviously go with McDaniel now. I'm like, well, the other option was Diamond because nothing has changed besides the fact that Derek Diamond just threw 70 pitches. Um, and it was it was TBA at that point. Do what? Doherty had not pitched at that point, had he? Yeah, you know, no. Doherty was the one that gave up the walk off home. Oh, yeah. He's gotten too big out. That shows you where my brain is because I sent off some dumbass tweet about how Jack Doherty collected the two biggest outs of you know a Friday night game in the SEC in the eighth inning and they gave up the walk off. That's fair. That you know that yeah. in part of my. Um, you know, I might cut but, that out of the podcast. But. Yeah, no, Diamond was the other option. I think he would have gone. But it's good for Drew that he had the good start. Um, do you think pregame that was the option? Do what now? Do you think – so, you know, we had that epiphany and we're kind of like crapping on our own epiphany now. But if Gunner goes, do you think that's still the same thing? Like, I don't know. I, I don't want to give think, up I on think, that. all right, all right, well, let's, let's play it out like this. I don't want to give up on our Doherty theory. I know we had um, to come that's um, because Diamond was already gone. Yeah, I'm giving up on it. Um, Fair enough. I think that if Gunnar Hoagland throws seven innings of one-run baseball and Tyler Myers finishes it off and the Rebels win 8-1 to one and Saturday plays out exactly like it did, I think Derek Diamond would have started the game today. Okay, why? Because at just the Mike's tone when he was asked um, – by Henderson what he's going to do on Sunday. He was like, well, we'll obviously go with Drew McDaniel now. Um, that just kind of told me that the original plan was to not go with Drew McDaniel if Derek Diamond was available. I guess the part I'm missing is why him instead of Doherty. Uh, 
well, no, I guess that's fair. Um, but my, my thing with that would be if, all right, if he announces that Drew McDaniel is going to start the game on Sunday, why could Jack Doherty not start the game on Sunday? He threw five pitches on Friday night. Fair. Makes he, sense. He, he threw five on Friday night. So I think the options were McDaniel and Diamond. They just had to use Diamond uh, in the situation that they did. That fifth one kind of stunk. Uh, so now we're going to wrap this thing up big picture. We've waited two hours to get to the main storyline. Gunnar Hoagland leaves after two-thirds of an inning. Um, he leaves with what they were saying on radio was possibly an illness. I mean, if you'd have judged from the TV guys, you would have just thought Mike just doesn't trust this random guy for shit, uh, which <laughs> would have been a hell of a place to be. But he leaves after two-thirds of an inning with what ended up being forearm tightness. I texted you last night based off something – I had heard from, uh, I'd say something fairly reliable. I am less bullish on the fact that uh, Gunnar Hoagland ever pitches for Ole Miss again. Um, I just, I struggle with, okay, uh, Derek Diamond had forearm tightness last summer and last fall. Turned out he was fine. Why, why can Gunnar not have forearm tightness and be like Derek Diamond? And he may not be, I have no idea. I just think nobody really knows anything until he goes and sticks his arm in an MRI machine tomorrow. I think the fact that he had had bicep issues two weekends prior is the kicker for me because you look at the bicep, you look at the forearm, you read anything about this stuff, what's in between? Yeah, I mean, it's possible. And, and I'm not even saying that's not likely. I just – I really – I see what the MRI says. I, I just – no, I'm with you. I don't want to speculate. I, I just – I mean, you look at the – it's kind of the same deal. Clearly, it was not as bluntly obvious as what happened to Tim Elko. But, man, you look at the writing on the wall. You look at what the kid has ahead of him. I just I, – I hope to God, just for the sake of that kid and for the sake of that baseball team, I am completely wrong. But, man, you get the bicep problem. Now he has forearm tightness. You know, when Chase Chase accidentally misunderstood it and put out initially bicep tightness after the game, did you see that? Yeah. I actually thought that was a good sign. I was like, oh, yeah. it's the same thing. But then when they said it's a forearm deal, I was kind of like, oh, no. And, again, um, I'm not a doctor, but, again, I was just kind of putting two together. Forearm, oh. bicep, what's in between? What's a, uh, I'll ask you because, again, you coach baseball, you deal with kids that pitch. What is the – prognosis after him going in with an MRI that's like cool he's cool to pitch within a week or two uh, inflamed tissue um you know I could be inflamed I just meant seriously what like I I don't know like are you asking what the medical prognosis could be I'm not asking you to play doctor I, I guess I'm asking you to go somewhere in between like I just didn't mean that pointedly I, I'm genuinely asking like what would be uh, the prognosis I, of him going under that and it being like okay he's cool to pitch in a week or two um, inflammation. Um, I think there's a scenario. I think there's a, I think there are things that don't require Tommy John surgery. Um, but I think there's a lot of things that do require Tommy John surgery. I, I, again, I don't know, uh, from a medical professional standpoint, like what else it could be. I just know that, you know, Derek Diamond had forearm tightness and turned out he was fine. Um, even if it's, uh, even if it's not T Tommy John, with what, what Gunner has coming ahead of him, presumably sure. next month, how much do you think that factors in? Um, it depends on what they say. I mean, 
if you go in there and you see, uh, you know, uh, I think that doctors are, and maybe I'm wrong. I think doctors are smart enough to read an MRI and say, okay, if you keep pitching, you're going to injure yourself or, Hey, this is what's wrong. You can't injure it anymore. If you can pitch with it, it's fine. If you can't, you can't. Like, I, I do think that we can go into this MRI and say, all right, well, here's the issue. Uh, this is either going to continue to get worse if you pitch or it's not. Like, I do think that is a possibility. I, I don't disagree with you because, again, I'm not a doctor. I don't know anything. I was just throwing at you last night when I texted you something that I had heard and something that seemed to make sense to me on top of that. So, but the thing that I guess the thing that gets me is you lose the middle ground, right? If Gunnar Hoagland is a freshman or he's a kid that doesn't have a ton of professional uh, you know, projection, he's yep. a guy that probably is like, when you mentioned that you can't hurt any worse, that's a guy that's more likely to go out there and kind of just get it done and then just kind of figure out what happened. Like, you know, in his draft eligible year, unfortunately, if you can't hurt it any worse, but the caveat is that it requires any sort of procedure afterward, after the season, don't you lose that wiggle room? Because the team that drafts him is not going to want him to have a procedure after he's selected. Oh, yeah, I, I, I think, yeah, if there is a very, I see, I think if it's anything more than inflammation, um, you, you start making hard decisions at that point. I mean, if it's inflammation, you sit him down for two weeks and you throw him in the SEC tournament for four innings, then he starts on Friday night of a regional. Um, but if it's anything more than that, you begin to worry. Um, what do you think happens Monday then? Just, 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 just uh, the way Ole Miss plays this, because you know the Elko thing came out weird, and you and I were texting each other back and forth, like you heard anything, you heard anything. Like, how do you think this plays out on Monday uh, from a media relations so, perspective? Because if it's bad, don't you just go in and announce him out? And if not, like, how do you well, think the messaging no, is? How do you right, think so, so Sands a torn a, a torn UCL, Sands a completely torn UCL. I think Gunnar Hoagland will have a decision to make. Do I try to pitch? Do I get the surgery? So I don't think you can do this MRI at 2 o'clock on, Tuesday, on Monday afternoon, and then at 3.30 you know exactly what you're doing. Um, how it plays out is that I think they do the MRI. I think it plays out just kind of like it did with Elko. Um, you do the MRI on Monday at 2 o'clock, whatever. Uh, on Tuesday after the game, you ask, what's up? Mike tells you. If Mike's there to take questions or if it's Clement, because Clement, I presume, will be the interim coach. Um, Mike's suspended. Um, I, I think the question will be answered Tuesday after the game. I figure if someone like Ben or Chase or Parrish or Nick, whoever, do some digging, they can probably get it before then if they'd like. Um, maybe not. They could probably could. Um, so, I, I kind of think that's how it plays. I doubt we hear anything until Tuesday afternoon after the game. I think you're exactly right. I think barring something catastrophic, I don't think you hear any – like, I don't think you get clarity. You may hear something, but you don't get a ton of clarity. So, I, I think you're dead on with that. Uh, as we kind of look at this team as a whole, they're 14-10 and 10 with two weekends left, which is such so weird when you look at, like, the last half decade of Ole Miss baseball. Like, how many teams out of this Ole Miss team since Omaha? So, since the 14 team, like – how many years would you have taken 14 and 10 with six games left? I would take 14 and 10 every year for the rest of the time. Genuinely. If you offer me 14 and 10 every year, because what that tells me is I need to win one of two series to host a regional. 
Um, and I need to win two series to have a shot at a national seat. Yeah, um, so, which makes this year weirder, right? Because that's what I was yeah. kind of getting at. Is well, I was ready to say this today. If Ole Miss had won that game, I was like, if you had offered me before the year, um, you know, 10 and 8 in my first six series against Alabama, Auburn, LSU, Florida, Mississippi State, and Arkansas, I would have taken it. And then if you would have offered me six and three over the last nine games after the first uh, 18 or whatever, or first 15, if you would offer me six and three against South Carolina, Florida, and A&M, I'd have taken it too. Like 15 and nine would have been exactly where this team should have been. But like people still kind of would have thought this team wasn't good enough, even if they won today. Oh, hundred percent. That's kind of the weird place we're in with this group. Right. I mean, I, hell I saw, and granted it was maybe a little bit warranted with the Gunnar Hogan injury, but you know, you saw people writing this team's obit on after their Friday night loss. Yeah. Like, this group's 13 and nine. And there's yeah. teams at, you know, in Mike's tenure that have been, I, I, 12 and 13 isn't the right thing. 11 and 12. And they've gone on to make runs and things sure. like that, right? I mean, the, well, I mean, let's be real. The 2018 team that was the number four national seed after uh, 24 games, they were 13 and 11. Not 14 and 10, 13 and 11. He had like two or three teams that posted. Mike had a streak there for like six or seven years where the team at the halfway point was, like, always under 500 or 500 at best. Do you remember what I'm talking about? They were never ahead of the eight ball at the halfway point. Uh, Yeah, I don't know. Um, so, Maybe I just, well, just, But I, I'm just saying, like, you would have taken this in a normal year, and then now it's, like, 14 to 10. It's, like, well, where, like, where the hell does this team go from here? And that's exactly where I'll ask you. Assuming – Gunner is going to miss some time. You know, do you think it's almost not a blessing, but do you think the fact that there's really not a whole lot of tension about whether this team will be a national seed, kind of if Gunner's out for a couple of weeks and he's able to come back, do you think that kind of mitigates the, uh, you know, I guess the the magnitude of that loss if you're not competing for national seed? Because uh, at the same time, this team might, I mean, this team would have to really, really kind of crater to not host. Yeah, this team has to go three and three to lock up a host spot. Two and four probably gets it done. Uh, so avoid a sweep. You haven't been swept this year. Don't get swept again. Maybe win one of these two series and you'll be fine. Um, but, you know, barring something, I do think there is a path to a national seed with a four and two record and a run through Hoover. Um, but, you know, I got a whole lot of doubt that this pitching staff can get through a, get through Hoover. Um, so Yeah, can you get through two days? Yeah, you know, so and, – and, you know, the thing about Hoover – like, let's just play this out because I think talking about a national seed is kind of pointless if Gunnar Hoagland's not part of the process. 100%. Like, let's, let's just play this out. Let's say that Gunnar – let's say Gunnar takes this week off, okay? Just takes this week off. Thursday against Georgia because that series is a Thursday, Friday, Saturday series. Let's, let's just say that Gunnar's okay and he's going to throw Thursday against Georgia. Stay with me here. Ole Miss is going to play on Tuesday in the SEC tournament. You really fist to move Gunnar Hoagland from Thursday to Tuesday? Is there any like you can't do that, can you? I mean, no, unless you completely devalue that last series. But why? Would what do you, you mean? No, no, no. I'm asking. Or, or, or if you're going to throw Gunnar on sheet on Thursday against Georgia, right? You can't oh, then ask, he throws against Georgia. No, hell no. You can't throw. That's what I'm saying. You can't go two days short of rest. You can't go two days short of rest in the SEC tournament on Tuesday. So, who in God's name are you throwing on Tuesday? So, like, how are you getting through the SEC tournament because your pitching staff sucks? 
Can I throw a name out there? I mean, Jack Doherty? No. Josh Mallett? Say Josh Mallett. I'm hanging up. Wouldn't you like to see a so, single so, elimination but, game in Hoover that Josh Mallett is pitching that might No. Not? No, I wouldn't. So Ooh. then my question here, – here my question becomes, well, now do you put Doug on Friday night next week and then throw Doug on Thursday in Georgia and then throw Doug on Tuesday in Hoover? Because I think that is your path to getting through Hoover if you want to make a run there. I don't think – look, it's not an Ole Miss's best – and this is assuming a lot that Gunner's okay. It is not an Ole Miss's best interest to throw – Gunner on Thursday against Georgia and then throw him on Tuesday in the SEC tournament. Frankly, that would be that would be uh, remarkably stupid. Your point about Doug is well stated, but man, what we just talked about for an hour and a half, I don't mean to make this an entire crap of Mike session, but has there ever been a time in this his tenure where he's thought that far ahead and executed? No, no, he couldn't think two batters ahead today. You're right. So I don't even mean to be rude about it because Mike Bianco has forgotten more baseball than I know. I feel like I have to add that caveat every time. But forgotten like, a lot lately. <laughs> I know you're not pleased right now, but you get my point to where sure. what you just outlined, assuming a lot is the case, I just have my doubts about him even thinking about that. Yeah. Even trying to get to so, that point. And let's, so it's all relevant. So we, we, we deserve it to the listeners too. Row out let's, all scenarios. Let's say Gunner's done for the year. Yeah, that's what I was going to get at. Let's sure. let's pretend Gunner does not throw another pitch, and that hurts my heart to say. Let's pretend he does not throw another pitch in an Ole Miss uniform. What's your case for continuing to uh, watch this? Wait, what? What is your case? If Gunner's done, what is your case for continuing to watch this team and having any sort of uh, – uh, I mean, look. I, I think, Doug, all right, well, let's just – let's say this team that they do what they need to do in host regional, 17 and 13. I think I think Doug Nikhazy can beat Vanderbilt once. I think you can win a game against Vanderbilt next week. I think you can win one game. Um, I think winning the series will be extremely tough, especially if Leiter is, is back. Uh, I don't know if you know this or not. He did not pitch on Saturday last, this okay. week. Um, but assuming Leiter's back, I think winning this series will be extremely tough. Okay. okay. Let's get one. Well, let's just say, hey, look, um, even with Hoagland out, Nikhazy, I mean, Ole Miss versus Georgia is pretty comparable. Um, I think Ole Miss could win that series. So let's just – let's pretend this that they host, okay? This is where it gets weird when you host, right? Um, if Ole Miss hosts a regional this year, and I, I feel pretty confident they will, Doug Nikhazy simply cannot throw the first game of the regional. Like, oh, it, it, I'm 100, I was hoping you would get to this. I'm 1,000% on board on that. He, he ahead, cannot do that. it. Um, because, look, I mean, you're in a regional. This team, without Gunnar Hoagland's path to making a super regional, is to go 3-0 and in the regional, okay? Like, you, this team can't go through the loser's bracket. Can't happen. Good way to not go into the loser's bracket is to win. So, Derek Diamond or Drew McDaniel, at this point, have got to win – have got to win a game. I think Ole Miss could conceivably go 2-0, and lose the 2-0 and game, and then win on Monday. I think that's possible. I do not think they could go 1-1 one and one and then advance. Oh, they're done. They're done. Right. So, your best path is either asking Derek Diamond, Drew, uh, Jack Doherty, or Drew McDaniel to beat the four seed. And then, look, if they do, if you can get by that four seed and – Doug Nikhazy's on the mound in the 1-0 game. Ole Miss is probably going to win that game, right? Like, 
Doug McKenzie and Taylor Broadway versus a two or a three seed is probably going to be a win in Swayze Stadium. Um, and then you just bash your way on Sunday with whatever you got left to get through the regional. That's your path. Is that a great path? No. It's, it's Go ahead. very Go ahead. narrow. I'm just saying it's very narrow, but there is a path there. But if Doug Nikhazy throws against the four seed, then, I mean, there's, at that point, there's no forward thinking again, assuming Gunner has thrown his last pitch in an old Miss uniform. I don't want to give this audience a heart attack, so I'm not going to have the debate with you about whether Mike would do that. But you're 100% spot on with that because when you talk about it, I assume it would be Diamond. Just all, all cards yeah. on the table. Whether I, I would throw Diamond because he throws harder and a four seed has probably not seen that velocity. 100%. And so, on top of that, I would assume it was Diamond. But you can't throw Doug against a four seed because if Diamond can't beat a four seed, isn't – You can't win the region. It doesn't matter. Nothing else matters. If Diamond well, is not good enough beating a four seed, nothing else in your season matters. Well, let me let me take you back to – and this I'm taking you back 11 years now. 10 years – or 11 years ago. 2010. Ole Miss is in Charlottesville, Virginia. Virginia is the number one seed. Aaron Barrett and Drew Pomerantz are your, are your one and two pitchers. You're facing St. John's on Friday night in, in the 2-3 game. Like, if Aaron Barrett can't beat St. John's, you can't win the regional because Aaron Barrett has to win a game. It's kind of the same situation here, right? Like, you can't win this regional if Drew McDaniel or Derek Diamond can't win a game, so put them in the best situation to win their game. Right, because if they go one and one – like Ole Miss has no path to one. They get one and one. It's just over with. I mean, they don't have the depth. There's no. I'm, way. I'm not gonna say no path right. because this this team can hit now, but yeah, it's tough. And it's almost. I mean, I agree. It's, it's very minimal. Never say never, but man, you've seen this team. You know how many times you've seen this team hit on Sundays, and it's still not be enough because they just could not get outs. Now, granted, it's gotten better since, but I agree. Okay, fine. You know, we'll just tease the audience. We'll get there. Say that everything plays out the way we do, and we're assuming that Gunnar Hoagland is done for the year. Hmm. Who starts? Assuming Mr. Uh, Mr. Bianco is the manager um, come June, and Ole Miss has one either in their building or somewhere else, because I don't really think it even matters in terms of strategy. Uh, who do you guess is starting? Not who would you start. Who do you think starts that game one of a regional? Not who you – I got mentioned. Like, can, I, can I do this? Can I say either Doug McKenzie or not Doug McKenzie? No, you can't. Okay. Well, I mean, who starts game one against the – let's call it in, in Ole Miss's building against the four seed. Wait, what do you mean? I, what, would you, like, what, what, can you do Doug McKenzie? Well, no, like, like what I'm saying – here's what I'm saying. It, <laughs> I'm answering this question. Does Mike Bianco hold Doug McKenzie or does he not? Like, I could argue that he could he would start Drew McDaniel or Derek Diamond or Jack Doherty against said four seed. Um, but the crux of the argument is, does he hold Doug McKenzie? Yes. You see what I'm saying? That's what I'm asking, yes. Right, right. So, I, what I'm saying is, can I answer that in the fashion of – like, is Doug going to pitch the, the second game of the regional? Oh, by, uh, absolutely. Sorry. I thought your answer was going to be either Doug or not. No, that's what I'm saying. Is he is he going to hold Doug or is he not? Yeah, go um, ahead. You know what? I'm going to say he holds him. I'm going I'm to give him a little bit. And, and here's my reason. I think there are some people in that baseball program that at that point would just say, look, we can't do this. Um. This is our path. Our path is not very big. There are some very smart people 
affiliated with that baseball program that I think would make really good decisions. And they are not going to not give their input if the postseason was where they wanted to do something stupid. I think he would hold it. I think. Now, I, I, look, I don't trust this guy as far as I can throw him. He's been an idiot for, for a month now. Um, but I just kind of think there are some people over there that would say, no, nah, man, look, this, this is dumb. This is why this is dumb. And they would present an argument and, and maybe they would win. I, I just – I have a hard time – and I'll put it like this. I have a hard time saying that a man that has paid $1 million to win and has been criticized for his performance in the postseason would not put himself in the best position to win in the postseason. Because, frankly, everyone that criticizes you for not winning in the postseason, um, they do it because they say you're tight or whatever. Well, me, like, if I think you're tight, it's because you threw your ace against the four seed when your backup, your, your second and third string pitchers, or whatever you want to call them, are not very good. You just um, made a counter-argument for me. That would be the counter-argument, right? That, that he's, he's tight. tight. And he just does it because he doesn't want to go down. He doesn't want to lose to the four seed. God help me. I don't want to give you a heart attack on this evening, so we'll just move on. Let's answer the questions and get out of here because I've kept you for like two hours. But this is this feels therapeutic almost. Um, <laughs> agree or disagree? I just I just put, I was speaking on your behalf there. Um, so. If you have the hottest hitter on your team up two with two men on base and zero outs, do you pinch hit a 260-pounder to lay down a bunt? Um, we don't have to answer this because we already went past it, but that's one hell of a way to articulate it. you got to give our guy Sims Gore, I believe, his name credit for articulating it that way. Thoughts? Uh, I got a – someone sent me a tweet that said – he tweeted this at Ole Miss Baseball. He said, we took out a guy that is three for three just to bring in a 260-pound gorilla so that he can lay down a sack bunt. Then we bring in the best hitter in a situation where you know he will get walked. Then you leave in the guy who was batting under 200 the entire season just for him, just for him to hit into a double play. It's like, yeah, that's what they did. <laughs> I could have done without making fun I of Ben like as close as anyone did. Sims Gore just, like, mind blew me on this one. I mean, they did. Because, look, I know you like Ben Van Cleef more than me, but his next home run was his first. Well, I mean, pinch hitting, it's not Ben, ben Van Cleef's fault. They asked him to it's bunt. Not he got it down. It's not his fault. It's 100% not his fault. But just the optics, dude. Uh, you answered this one. Uh, Bailey Winters or Winters Bailey, is that his name? Uh, Bailey Winters, yeah. Yeah, that's what I thought. I assume his first name wasn't Winters. He's listened to podcasts for a long time. Appreciate the contribution. You already outlined this, but I'll, go ahead. I'll let you do it in uh, podcast form. He would ask, He asked for both of our breakdowns of what we've done in the eighth. We already agreed on it, but outline what you did uh, one more uh, Yeah, I would have hit Leatherwood. Um, and then if he had an unproductive or pro- – if he had an unproductive out, I would have hit, uh, you know, Elko with the guy at first and second. Um, if he had a productive out, I would have hit Baker. Um, and then if Baker didn't get it done, I would hit Elko uh, in the nine hole. Um, well, no, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. I, I said that wrong. I would hit Leatherwood. Um, and then let's say two two possible situations there. He either uh, has a productive out or has a unproductive out, or he goes ahead and drives in the run, and it doesn't really matter at that point. But if he has an unproductive out, I means guys still at first and second. I would have hit uh, Elko in that situation. And then uh, I would have hit Ben Van Cleef for Calvin Harris. If um, uh, Leatherwood has a productive out, which means Justin Bench gets to third, 
I would have hit Ben Van Cleef for Kale Baker. That way they could not walk Tim Elko. Um, and then I would have hit Tim Elko after um, Ben Van Cleef. Because I, I would have – my whole thought process would be they are not pitching to Tim Elko with a base open uh, unless there's two outs. I would have bunted three times in a row. Oh, shut up. Which well stated. <laughs> I can't rehash that. I agree. We agreed wholeheartedly, like even by accident. I didn't even know that was your strategy. Should we talk that over in the podcast? Oh, let's see. Here's where it gets a little hairy. If you're the AD, what would be the scenario in which you fire Mike Bianco? For me, we if we can't get out of a regional, he should be. And the second part of his question, too, if Bianco's fired, who are some candidates that we should hire? I don't know if I want to do the second part of that today. Um, I will put it out there, just a general blanket statement, and I have no insight on this. I am not plugged in anymore. I'm just a grease salesman. I don't think Mike Bianco, there is much of a world where he is not the head coach of Ole Miss Baseball in 2022. There, there's one, but it doesn't involve him getting fired. What's that? He takes him another job. Okay, fair. So it sounds like you've come around on this because we butted heads a little bit on this in the past. I just – so they rolled him over after the COVID deal last year, right? Yeah. And hindsight's 2020. I, I don't blame Keith for doing what he did in that point. So for you, you guys could- who don't know, the four-year contract thing – where there's not a publicly public employee in the state that can have longer than a four-year contract. The way Ole Miss gets around it is unless you have, a, you know, an NCA investigation, and sometimes that doesn't even always do it. You put it in the foundation. Yeah, and unless someone makes a PowerPoint against you, you get rolled back to the four years every year. And Mike, after Ross Bjork in the summer of 2019, left in the middle of the night against Texas A&M, or excuse me, for Texas A&M. Well, Mike was still I, actually against Texas A and M too because they were playing them in baseball that day. But go ahead. That's right. I just uh, the only thing I remember about that was diving into a great looking pizza in Hoover at this brewery and having my night ruined as soon as I took one bite because I got a text <laughs> that says, "Hi, Ross." Yeah, I had to post something on Super Talk for you that night. <laughs> yes, you did. You did. I had to type out. That's right. I forgot about that. I had to, te- I had to text an article to you and say, "Hey, man." We've been through a lot together. Can you take my login and put this on the website? I can't get an Uber out of here. That's a, that's a great story. I'm glad you brought that up. Anyway, all I remember from that was that just Ross Bjork ruining my pizza. It ruined my day. Anyway, Keith, kind of one of his first power moves, or what do you want to yep. call it? Whether you agree with it or not. I feel like people say power move. It's something that they agree with. One of his first serious kind of ripple wave deal was not extending Mike Bianco after he lost in a super to Arkansas in twenty nineteen. Do you know why he didn't extend him? Do you know what the quote was? I don't remember the quote. He I know wants to make the College World Series more. Sure. Okay. But that that's important. It's important. But go ahead. That, that no, that is absolutely important. And I know what Keith was trying to do at the time. And sure. he's a smart guy. It, it, I did not agree with that decision, but go ahead. Okay, so did you – you didn't agree with it at the time. I'll ask you that. No, I did not. I, you, you extend the guy that makes the Super Regional. You, you're not extending the guy that doesn't make – that makes the Sweet 16 does not send a good message to me. Go ahead. Completely agree with you, but I will say hand up and admit at the same time when he did that and the news came out that he did that, I kind of went, uh, I could see it. Now, exactly what you said as we kind of went on – further into that winter and we went into the 2020 baseball season and maybe it was because Mike was just particularly chappy early on in that year I could see why that was short-sighted I understand what Keith was trying to do right he's trying to kind of you know 
put a put his imprint on the intern job as best as you can because you can't go firing guys as the intern guys, right? Like, no, no, this is as much of a power move as he could have made. Fair, I, sure. And I want to discuss this. He he didn't extend him because fans were pissed off. Now, like like that was that was part of it. Um, was it fans it, were pissed off or fans were becoming apathetic? Because both, but let, let's just fan his, sentiment it, was involved in that decision. Oh, it, it, it was the reason. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because Go on paper, like you mentioned, it was the reason. And that doesn't, that doesn't make Keith Carter a bad athletic director. No. No. You have to gauge the temperature of a fan base to some degree. Like, that doesn't make him a bad athletic director. It was a tough decision. At the time, I was like, okay, I could see it. But it did turn out to become more and more short-sighted as the year went on, right? Ole Miss has this sure. fantastic start to the 2020 season. We have a global pandemic that ends the baseball season, which is a damn shame. Because you know you talk about it this way, dude. I talked about this to Chase last night, and I don't think he'd mind me mentioning this. There is a world. You know, Ole Miss started out that 2020 baseball season hot ass on fire. But we've reached the point in the program where only postseason result matters. If Mike loses in another regional, he looks like a genius for not extending him. There is a world where that exists, right? Yeah, absolutely. No, I – I struggle to see a world where Gunnar Hoagland and Doug Nikhazy lose a regional game uh, with Nikhazy, or with Servidio and Keenan on the team. But okay. yes, that agree with that. But is there a world where he looks like a genius for it for losing another super? That would be sure. one in seven is sure. supers. One in but seven. that that at that point, right? You got a really hard decision to make because are you really going to not extend the guy two years in a row that lost in super regionals? Hundred. Oh, I think it's easier. I think really? it's harder if you had extended him the year before. All right, all right. Well, backwards. sorry, but no, this this is important though. All right, so let's let's say he does make that decision. So what you're saying at that point is that if you don't make the College World Series, the season's a failure. Because if you're not extending the coach, to me, you're saying the season was a failure. I, I just that's that's the message you sent. But if you go to another super, and that's one in seven, if that had happened, sure. our hypothetical scenario plays out in supers. That's one in seven in yeah. a vacuum. Firing, firing or not extending a guy for not making for making a super regional is asinine. But in this particular scenario, which is almost a statistical anomaly, isn't it almost warranted? I mean, at what point do you have to make the college world series again? Is my I point. think it I think if we would have reached that point, you either have to extend them or you have to fire him. I think you can play the middle ground at that point. Fair, fair enough. So that's what this guy's question is. And Okay. Doing it back in. No, I agree. I think that's a great way to hash that out, and I'm glad we did that because that was kind of something I went through last night in my head. But, but, but you know, let's, the the current situation is that he's after this year we'll have three years left on his deal. So that's kind of what I was getting at. You're right. Sure. So they would be in much better position to kind of mull the idea had he not had a COVID extension. All right. Yes. Now here here's a couple of things. Um, and this does not include my opinion on what I would do with Mike Bianco. I will say this. You are never, ever, ever again going to tell me that Ole Miss does not have the money to do something after what I saw happen with Matt Luke. You'll never – you can never tell me again the money isn't there. I don't believe. So Is it I don't, easier, though, when the sport makes that money? It does, but just – the money wasn't there the third Friday night after the Egg Bowl, and then it was on Sunday after. Um, I just kind of feel like there's enough people that want to make something happen, they can make it happen. 
All right. There's another part of this, right? His salary keeps going up and up. No, it doesn't. They fixed that. No, I know they fixed that. His salary kept going up and up and up. And yep. they fixed that for a reason. And that's almost a hedge on the COVID rollback, is it not? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I just, point, you can't have that man making up one and a half or almost. No. Um, I'll say this. I don't think the decision will be made about – I don't think the decision will be made with we don't have the money to do it in mind. Fair enough. So I then, then you have to get into the decision. And this is where I struggle with my – because, like, I, I approach this baseball season honest. I mean, I approach every almost baseball season differently, admittedly, than almost every, every fan for the roots for almost baseball. I don't gauge what Mike Bianco does in the postseason as far as what I think they should do with his future. I gauge what he does in the regular season over a 60-game sample size because I believe the sport is played uh, the way it is, that you, you should gauge it over an extremely long period of time. That's a great point, but we've reached a point to where that's not happening. In fact, the but, exact opposite is happening. But, but hear me out. So when I gauge what he's doing in the regular season this year, it's not good enough. Uh, he he's not doing well enough to put like he's not putting this team in the best situations to win games. I don't really think he's getting the most out of the talent, um, and he's making poor decisions that are leading to losses. Um, so then I have to ask myself, like, all right, if he's doing that and this does not go the way it should, do I think it's time to move on? Um, and, and I did. I I thought to myself, like, hey, what what would I do if if this ends? It, with a 17 and 13 team that loses in a regional or loses in a super regional, um, what would I want to happen? It's like, I think what I'd want is them not to fire Mike Bianco and them hope to God that LSU or Texas A&M called him because I think that's the most amicable way to get out, get, get, get out of this. But I do not think, boring an absolute collapse, there's a world where I would advocate firing Mike Bianco. 100%. I think you're dead on. I think you nailed that. And I don't have a ton to add to that because it's a complex situation, right? It's the weirdest deal ever because you've reached this point where nothing they do in the regular season matters. It's all based yeah. on the postseason. But as you just outlined, what they do in the regular season absolutely matters. And he's actively costing them games. And I'm not saying that doesn't matter in terms of the eyes of Keith Carter and the guys making decisions. But in terms of the fan base and like kind of everything, and, and I need we need to make this point clear. Um, and look, I, I don't, I don't base a ton off of you know what people put on a message board or, or, or what you know people. I, here's my thing: the people that are on message boards are are a small portion of the Ole Miss fan base. But I do think there are a decent amount of fans that you know interact and and have opinions and put them out there. There's a poll on a certain Ole Miss message board, and I'm trying to find it, that there are, let's see, 460 votes in this poll. And it asks, after the season, would you fire Mike Bianco or would you keep – again, this was started today after he made some boneheaded decisions. 460 votes. So that means 230 is 50-50. What do you think the split is? I mean, I'm going to go more egregious than I would have guessed, so I'll go 90-10. Oh, it's only 78-22 to fire him. Okay. <laughs> I may have gone over the top, but that, that's still not a 70, great ratio. 78% are ready to move on. Like, 
I, so the way I have approached like this might be anchor thing is like four years ago, I got really pissed off and everybody was like, or when anybody was like, oh, it's time to move on. It's time to move on. It's time to fire. I was like, that's stupid. Um, and then 2018 happens. The Tennessee tech thing happens. I, I still thought it was stupid. Um, and then, you know, he had some really bad games as a manager in 19 and people were ready to fire him after Arkansas. I was like, no, nah, it's not, it's not time to fire him. And then like this year, like, I don't think I'd fire him, but like, I'm also not out there saying, you know what, you guys are wrong. It's like, yeah, no, I'm, I'm going to be real quiet over here with my Mike Bianco support because I can't really debate those guys right now. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. That. It's such a complex situation, too, because if they just happen to find a way to beat Arkansas on that Monday in 2019, the entire <laughs> 10 years looked at is 1,000% different, which is so bizarre. Yep. Because they also had no business – I don't say no business being there. Arkansas was the better team than Ole Miss. Teams. Yeah. Way they, they, they were They were the better team than Ole Miss. Um, my argument with the 2019 Ole Miss Rebels was that game should not have taken place in Fayetteville, Arkansas. That game should have taken place at home against East Carolina or Oklahoma State or somebody of the ilk. Yeah, um, they were a miracle run from the entire thing happening on the and that's yeah. probably, if you want to conclude the Mike Bianco thing, the biggest indictment on his whole deal is the fact that they've never gone on a two-seat and made it through a season. Not once. Yeah. yeah, that. And so, like, but that whole deal, uh, you talk about two-seeds winning regionals and, and two-seeds going to the College World Series, is like when people say, well, the season's over if we don't have Gunner. It's like, look, man, there's been a lot worse teams than the current Ole Miss Rebels that have gone to the College World Series. Um, so, not under the man, though. I agree. No. No. Like, they've never had a two – like, I mean, I, I guess in the way, if he somehow wills this team to this, like, that's kind of his – isn't that kind of his saving grace? Yeah. I mean, he gets this team to the College World Series, especially if Gunner's done for the year. Um, yeah. I mean, he, he's, he's untouchable at that point. Before we talk ourselves into insanity, we'll finish up these questions to get out of here. Um, jewel runner – I don't know what the last part of that is. It says, why can't we have shit? That answers itself. Um, Five. Some guy points out the same thing they posted out to me. I kind of had a little snark about the baseball team deleting the tweet. The graphic was wrong. Be that as it may. Not taking questions after a week. Are birds real? Sorry, we had to. Uh, no, we've decided this. We all know they're robots, right? Yeah, the, you know, the COVID, the COVID was for, for them to change the batteries. That's a great point. And you have two Bill Gates microchips, and I'm on the process of getting one. Over, under, hey, hey, word, word of advice, take the, uh, take the day off after the second one. I heard about that, but uh, some people are not having – I don't know. Can I just what's, – what's the deal? Why is no one getting the J&J vaccine? Uh, because it causes blood clots, and they stopped it. Well, they, it's back on now. You can get it on. Oh, is it? I Should say I it causes it? blood clots. It was like six people. I didn't know it was back on. Yeah, no, no, it's back on out here in Texas. I can get a one-shot vaccine. Should I do it or just bite the bullet and take the two? No, nah, take the two. The the J&J is apparently okay, but I think it's lower efficacy rate. Sweet. We all heard it. If I die, it's on Colin. Uh, over, under, wins remaining on the schedule. Uh, let's let's not include the two midweek games. I'm going to go three and three. I think they go three and three, too. I think they lose next weekend, and then I think they take two and three from Georgia. Gunner Hose on his side. Um, everything aside, it seems this might be the unlucky team we yeah. have had quite some time. Between bad teams getting hot when we play them and injuries and stuff. Um, I, 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 sorry, he had, the, he had an end to this. It was a long question. 
Do y'all think we are at a point where with this break eventually? I do think they've had four fourths. I think there's merit to that. They, they absolutely have had four fourths. I mean, think about it today, right? Um, there were two situations in this game that had to go, and they were percentage points to happen, had to go exactly wrong for Ole Miss to lose this game. Will Frizzell had to hit a ball at his chest on an 0-2 count out of the park, and Calvin Harris has to hit into a double play. Like, that, that, that is, look, some of the decisions surrounding those were very bad. That is bad luck. Um, you know, and you know, <laughs> losing your best pitcher and your best hitter, pretty bad luck. Um, losing your starting center fielder before you even play a game, pretty bad luck. Losing your best bullpen arm, well, second-best bullpen arm, pretty bad luck. Yeah, I think bad luck is involved here, and, you know, hopefully that turns around for you, right? How did um, your ace not start two Friday night games against bad teams in which you'd otherwise win it? You want to hear, you wanna hear the right? saddest – so I thought about this during this podcast. Gunnar Hoagland turned down the draft to come to Ole Miss three years ago, right? Let's yeah. just operate on the premise that he does not pitch again. Gunnar Hoagland, over three years, will start 15 SEC games for Ole Miss. Oh, my God. That's, that's heartbreaking. <laughs> 15. That's half a schedule. Well, yeah, yeah. Well, he could only started uh, 10 a year, but yes. Oh. He, could have, he, would have scored, he would have started 30 if everything was normal and he started 15. Ah, oh, man, that's odd. That's a tough pill to swallow, too, because it's none of his own doing. Like, right? Like, okay, even the injury part is not his own doing, but, like, the COVID thing is the real kick in the ball. That 2020 team is the greatest what-if in Mike's chapter ever. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah dude. That's, that, but they have had terrible luck. I mean, I mean, that's what – I actually had this thought on the golf course either yesterday or Friday. I can't remember, but it, it, it's not even just, like – managerial decisions. I mean, this team, they win that LSU game, right? They enter this, what? Four. Do I know? How, what's their record if they win Saturday, Friday, Thursday night, whatever, game one against LSU? 15, 15 and nine. Yeah, I mean, the series doesn't matter as much. No. no and I, mean, the, the, I don't know. I mean, they had, Gunner had bad luck against State and Florida. I mean, this team has had good fortune. You know, Scotty DeBrule against State hits the ground ball five inches to the left. Justin Bench catches it, throws to first. Ole Miss is up four to three, and Broadway comes on the mound. You know, right. I've never felt like Ole Miss teams in the past that have had such bad luck to where it could seem swing the season five or six games. This is the first one I felt that way. Yeah, they've had crap luck. You know, no, that doesn't excuse some of the things that have happened. Yes, they they have had bad luck. Hot take, the eighth was mismanagement, but he made the right call in the seventh, and Broadway didn't throw strikes to anyone but the guy he shouldn't have. Can't blame five for that three-run lead gas that nobody's up and quit nitpicking corners. Uh, okay. You could have walked in. Like, there, there's some people that just disagree with me that you can't walk out with the bases loaded. And that's fine. We just we're not going to operate on the in, the in the same spectrum. And, and I don't mean that like obnoxiously. I just I would walk the guy. You wouldn't. I think it's a mistake. You don't. Um, so you know we can we can argue each way. I just I have no issue walking guy with the bases loaded with a three run lead, and some people do, and that's fine. I agree. I mean that's a that you know there's there's decisions that he's made that have been left up to subject and to you know people like us fodder. What happened in the eighth was not left up to fodder. Um, 
Do you keep Doug second in the rotation and pitch Diamond on right, This is interesting to me. Starting um, Doherty over Diamond. It was the second. Th- th- this is interesting to me. All right, let's, let's play this out. Uh, Gunner doesn't pitch against Vanderbilt. And let's say, because I think, I think he will be, let's say Leiter is going to pitch on Saturday. Yeah. What do you do? You there? Yeah, I'm there. I'm just thinking. <laughs> Shit, man. You're going to call me nuts. I swear to God, I would almost put Doug on Sunday, but that's too – sorry. No, no, I don't do that because – Why? I, I, I leave – well, I leave him on Saturday because I think Doug can beat Lighter and I think Doug can beat Rocker. I, I think he can. So – and I think I can win on Sunday with, with the guys I have now because Vanderbilt's not any good on Sunday now. Wouldn't you take the game so, W? Um, no. I guess, yeah, okay. Maybe I was just getting off the road. I would rather take two shots at, at two wins than one shot at one win. Okay, fair enough. You talked me back off the ledge. Do you talk – do you pitch in Friday or Saturday then? That's the question. But it, it's, to me – It's probably Friday and then you still just try to find a way to beat Rocker. Who do I think I can beat? Do I think I can beat Lighter? Or do I think I can beat Rocker? Well, right now the answer is absolutely lighter, is it not? I know Rocker had a tough start the other night. How the guy had ten strikeouts through three innings. No one, that's not a typo. And allowed six runs. Is that a, four runs? Six, six runs. Uh, at some point, I don't know when the six runs came, but yes, he had. He no, what it was, he had given. He gave up three earned runs through three innings and then struck out ten. Okay. Hard, hard to do. That is hard to do. Where do y'all predict Ole Miss ends up in the top twenty hosts? They will. Uh, I need to make this clear. They will not seed these teams on Thursday when they announce. They will only list the 20, and Ole Miss will be included in that 20. 1,000%. This has turned out to not be any different at all other than the NCAA wanting to get the Lysol wipes, which they said Lysol the bullpens. I already discussed this, but now it's not a sickness, so I can't be. Um, we, didn't, we didn't answer the Nikhazy question, though. I pitch him on Saturday. I pitch him on Saturday against Leiter. I probably keep him too. I just try to find a way to beat Rocker. I think you're right. My Sunday was big galaxy brain, but that's the fact that we've been doing this podcast for two hours. The second part of his question was, "What's the team ceiling without Dime, I mean, without uh, Hoagland?" We've already answered the that. The ceiling is the College World Series. Now, uh, what what does this change? Is Ole Miss can't win the national title without Gunnar Hoagland. The ceiling, if everything goes right, is the College World Series. Um, it's just a really really narrow path now. Second to last question is our man Tyler Hayes. I don't understand this one. Maybe I'm missing something. Anyway, Diamond can get some practice in the field. It seems like things spiral out of control after he makes an error. Uh, I think he's just talking about pitcher fielding practice. Like, he needs to be able to field his position a little better. He is not great at that. I'll give him that. No. And as a two-way guy, that's, uh, that's concerning. Last one, why was Broadway – this was a quote tweet. Why was Broadway nipping the edges and just not throwing smoke with the three-run lead? Uh, Only way to go behind letting Frizz come up with the bases loaded? I just – high heat bothered me. No way they can hit – not many can hit a ball at that eye level. I – all right. I don't think Broadway was nipping. I think if you watch those last two at-bats, he lost his slider. I think he lost his release points. The mechanics got out of whack. I don't think he was trying to throw the ball off the corner of the plate. I just think he wasn't able to throw it in the strike zone. I don't I don't think it was a situation where he's, you know, just trying to make a perfect pitch. Because if you remember, he got two strikes on those guys. I, I just kind of think he lost the lost the release point or lost the strike zone there for a little bit. Fair enough. 
Um, let's see. Making sure we hadn't missed any. Yeah, that'll do it for us today. I really appreciate your time as always, dude. You hung with me for two hours on a Sunday night. You know, you know we'll, we'll learn a lot more about this team on Monday, right? I mean, Monday after Gunner goes through the MRI. Maybe we won't entirely, but we'll get a little bit of a nugget. It just feels like it's in limbo. I mean, am I wrong to think that? Feels like, you know what, it, it kind of feels like, though, if on Monday afternoon it comes out, hey, Gunner's just got some inflammation, he's going to be fine. Maybe just for me, but uh, Sunday, like, goes onto the back burner and I don't care about Sunday anymore. For sure, because there's still a host. You can go on the road with that rotation and a healthy Gunnar Hoagland and a Doug Nikhazy and beat anybody, right? Like, you know, everything's been so much made of this national seed in the predetermined sites. Like, it is okay if Ole Miss is not a national seed, particularly. <laughs> See, that's not the end of the world. No, I will argue, argue it might help them to some degree. Yeah. I'm so galaxy brained in 19, I convinced myself that team needed to go on a road for a regional. <laughs> um, I will argue that so here's what I will say. This team does need to stay relatively high. Like you don't want to find yourself as the 14 seed going to Starkville. Um, so you'd rather be, you'd rather be the 10 or 11 going to South Bend and playing Notre Dame. Uh, yeah, that's very true. So I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what happens tomorrow with the host sites. By the time a lot of you are listening to this, it may have already been out and this may be uh, host sites, not till Thursday. Oh, I thought that was a Monday deal. No, no. Kendall tweeted earlier last week that uh, that they will be announced Thursday or Friday. Awesome. If you're listening to this on Thursday, like, uh, props to you. Um, so, <laughs> well, that'll do it for us. I appreciate the time, as always, dude. Uh, be on standby. We're going to need someone that doesn't walk people out of the pen for an emergency podcast, potentially. For, uh, for some food that they can do that. Do what now? I said, we're going to need someone out of the pen in an emergency scenario that doesn't walk folks and throw strikes. Can you stay on standby in case there's some emergency news? Ooh, I guess, I guess absolutely. Absolutely. I have, a, I have state testing tomorrow with my kids, so I'm game to do anything that requires activity after tomorrow. Perfect. You heard it from Colin Josh Mallett's Booster himself. We will uh, – <laughs> We'll get out of here on that note. For real, dude, I appreciate the time. As always, this was fun. Uh, I guess this is probably pretty fitting that this is our longest pot of the year, even though these go longer every week. Uh, everybody have a safe and happy start to their week. And Colin and I will definitely be back at it next Friday previewing the Vanderbilt Series. I will be in Oxford for the Vanderbilt Series, so if you're around, holler at me. Uh, appreciate it, dude. Have a good week. Absolutely, man. Everybody have a safe happy start to their week, and we'll holler at you next week – or, excuse me, at the end of the week.